Thank you, Simon. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio with your breakfast show until nine o'clock. Lots to fit in the show this morning. I think we'll do it. We'll have a good crack at it. Uh, we'll be talking later on about internet safety. Uh, and how safe are things like Facebook and Twitter and, and things like that? I get very little information on my Facebook page. Well, also... but uh, you notice now it's hot weather? There's loads of topless men wandering around. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. We'll be talking about that. And we need to find some bells. We need to find some bells. For this bell thing tomorrow at 12 minutes past 8 when the whole country is going to be ringing bells. So, can you tell me, where on earth do I get a bell from? 08459 455 555. You can text 81333. Start your text 3CR or email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yeah, there's like a party going on and stuff. At six in the morning. I don't want to sound too cheesy, but I do have train news. They're singing about a train. Imagine an actual love train. Ugh, that would be unpleasant. I wouldn't want to see that going on. Uh, but I do have some train news. A day before the start of the Olympics, uh, one of the main rail routes into London is at a standstill this morning due to cable theft. You can expect delays of up to 90 minutes if you're heading on the first Capital Connect line between Bedford and Luton. The company said this is due to signalling problems at Bedford caused by cable theft and all lines are blocked. There's a replacement bus service between Bedford and Luton. If that affects you this morning, could you give me a call? 08459 455 555 and just let me know how big a problem that's being for you. We'll, we'll chase that up a little bit later on. Now, this is an incredible story. The Olympics, it sort of starts properly tomorrow, but it kind of started last night, didn't it, with, with the football. The London 2012... By the way, I was um, going to take my little boy to see the Olympic flame. Um, we were going to drive down to North London, because we've got friends who live there, and we thought we were going to have a little look and show my little boy, and we got there, and he'd fallen asleep and could not wake him up. So he missed it. The London 2012 Olympics has begun and it started with an official apology from the Games organisers after the flags of North and South Korea, two nations that are still technically at war, by the way, got mixed up. It happened at the women's football in Glasgow as the North Korean team walked onto the pitch with the South Korean flag mistakenly displayed on the big screen. The team walked off and refused to play until the right flag was found. The match started over an hour later. We can get more of this uh, from our reporter, Gavin Lee. Of all the flags to mix up, Gavin, two, two countries still at war. I know. I mean, every time the images come back on the television, I'm sort of watching, covering my face with my hands. It, it, just as a British person, I think, there's seven years here, and since Boris Johnson was standing in Beijing, uh, making all sorts of speeches, coming up with different words for ping-pong, which I thought, come on, I hope we do a better version of this. And so much preparation, all those people have put so many hours in, so many weeks and months to make sure this is right, especially for the opening ceremony on Friday. And it was a genuine mistake, according to the, a London 2012 spoke person. It was a video package about North Korea that as the players, the women were about to step onto the pitch at Hampton Park uh, in Glasgow, uh, the South Korean flag was the one on this video package on the big screen. And the group that produced it uh, is an outside organisation, we're told. It's not yet been made clear who was behind the video, so they haven't been public 
publicly flogged yet, uh, but you, uh, this same group, have put together every single oh, package. Oh goodness! So I think what's to come. So you bet every single one will be checked today. And you think about all those fans in the stadium as well. They were not told what was going on until just before the hour that was up when the players came back on. They were told that there was a problem technically behind the scenes, and that was it. So many of the fans didn't know. So a portion of the crowd booed both sides as they came on. That's incredible, keeping a, a stadium in the dark. Uh, it doesn't send out a great message, does it, about the UK's ability to host the Games? No, I think the frustrating thing is, you know, the organisers and those who have spent so long trying to get this right, on day one there is this controversy. And the two flags are nothing like each other. You can, I imagine somebody, whoever's behind us, just put Google search images on <laughs> Korea and found the first one. And <laughs> diplomatically, you know, it's a scenario where the Games organisers must cringe about you. Having to apologise to a closed-off communist country, Britain is consistently condemning North Korea for its alleged nuclear proliferation. It deals with North Korean length and it's a forced conversation it doesn't need to have and I've watched CNN and ABC in the US this morning and you can bet globally mm. this is news that's you know being spoken about not the sporting action yeah let, let's wind up a, a, a country that's got nuclear capability shall we let, that's a good idea <laughs> uh, reflecting the sport on the field a winning start for team GB uh, with the women's uh, football team and it's men's football today isn't it Yes, I, I think you know, the, the women's team, first of all, completely outplayed and were extremely impressive against New Zealand. 1-0 win was quite deserved. They are, I think, you know, in contention for a medal at the moment. A lot of people are saying Hope, Hope Powell, the manager, has put together a really strong side and you know, the teams to beat are Brazil and the US. However, I said to you yesterday mm. that this was a record crowd, 38,000 people. Now, this is what we were told by the, the organisers. If you watched it on TV and for anybody that did... It was half empty, wasn't it? It was, it was a bit odd how the stadium just did not look full. It turns out it was an error with the ticketing, and there were 25,000 people. So they, there were plenty more tickets for more people. It's a bit of a bad omen for women's football. That was the one uh, sport they really couldn't sell tickets for, and it was thought they got off to a great start, but that hasn't happened. So, yeah. But I saw end. that last night, Gavin, and yeah. I thought this, uh, I, I, the stadium did look empty, and I thought it was a little bit embarrassing that there were so many empty seats. I mean, it's... Uh, and they were still saying sort of yesterday evening that they, they'd sold 38,000 tickets, and it was 30,000 more than the women's football team normally play in front of, or something like that. Yeah. But it was, it was nowhere near that then. No. Wow. When you think for the... The first game as well. That is that yeah. is the game that gets photographed, regardless of the controversy which has overshadowed it. That is the one that's going to be all of the, uh, the, the the newspapers abroad, and you know it doesn't look great in the crowd, does it? So I mean, moving on from that, the men's today, Old Trafford against Senegal, absolute favourites to win this one again. Medal contention is something that you know, various analysts and there are some groups and org- that have been put together over the last month that have looked at the minutiae of every single team and predict that Britain could get a bronze. Not many people saying that they could beat uh, the likes of Brazil and Spain, but who knows? Gavin, thank you very much for that. That's uh, Gavin Lee. We'll be speaking to him more as, uh, as the Olympics progresses. I did watch a little bit of the women's football, and it was... The stadium was empty, and it was kind of a little bit embarrassing, really. be interesting to see, uh, as the Olympics progress, how the rest of it's going to go on. The, the, the volleyball... Is that this? It's got fifteen thousand seats. That'll sell out, though, won't it? Because everyone, everyone wants a bit of volleyball. It's, it's, it's all people in bikinis and things like that. That's what it's about. A uh, very hot day yesterday. A, a very hot day. I would, I would dare to say, a little bit too hot, a bit uncomfortable. I wasn't enjoying it. I was great trouble sleeping last night. 
It's that thing of, you want to be covered by your duvet, but it's too hot to be covered by the duvet. But yesterday, what I noticed, and I, for- I always forget this happens, I always think that we are a better country than this, and it turns out we're not. I was in Belsize Park in North London, a very well-to-do area. Okay, I was there meeting someone yesterday, very well-to-do, it's posh, it's dead posh, right? There were so many horrible blokes walking around topless. It was disgusting. Why would you do that? I don't want to see topless blokes wandering. I don't even. Want, I don't like nudity of any kind, men or women. It doesn't work for me. Keep your clothes on. I don't want to see women walking around with hardly anything on. I certainly don't want to see topless blokes walking around. If you're one of these blokes that feels it's appropriate to do that, could you let me know? Send me a text eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. Say yeah. What's your, what's your problem, Lee? I do that. Or maybe you're a lady that enjoys these bits of flesh as the men are parading around with very little on. 81333. Start your text 3CR and tell me if you think it's acceptable for blokes to be wandering around. Virtually nude. Disgusting. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Thursday the 26th of July. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A day before the start of the Olympics, one of the main rail routes into London is at a standstill this morning due to cable theft. First Capital Connect's Thameslink service is not running between Bedford and Luton and disruption will continue until at least lunchtime. Detectives say they are keeping up to date with technology as a Hertfordshire man who tricked a woman with fake Facebook friends starts a life sentence for her murder. Tony Bushby had created four friends on the social networking site to gain Katie Winter's trust. In sport, Luton and Wickham drew nil-nil in last night's pre-season friendly at Kenilworth Road. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a few minutes with Phil Garner and with signalling problems in Bedford this morning. Bus replacement services are in place on many uh, of the railways. We're being told it's all down to cable theft. Hear more next. I'm really keen. If this this, uh, train delays because of the cable theft, if they're affecting you uh, in any way, could you let me know? Either give me a call or send me a text. I want to know what the delays are like. I think we're sending Justin down there to have a word later on and find out exactly what's going on. We can do the front page of the papers, but we can't do the front pages of all the papers because all the papers haven't been delivered. The fu- we haven't got the fun ones. We haven't got the fun papers in. We've got the heavy papers. We haven't got the fun ones. Uh, oh, there, there we go. There's um, a health story in the front page of the Express. We'll get there in a second. The Daily Telegraph. Osborne attacked as recession deepens. We are in a huge recession. You have to laugh. It's so bad. We're in terrible trouble. Plan A, not enough, say business leaders. Pierre mocks work experience chancellor. Can he, st- can, can he stay? Really? His plan doesn't seem to be working, does it? Au contraire. Um, and there's a picture of the uh, Team GB, the uh, women's football team, uh, celebrating their 1-0 victory uh, over New Zealand. Here's an interesting thing. Tell a teacher if you know a tax dodger, pupils are urged. School children are being encouraged to tell their teachers if they know of anyone in their local area who is not paying their fair share of tax. How are kids going to know that? How is an 11-year-old? I didn't, uh, uh, as an 11-year-old, I didn't even know what tax was. Still not 100% sure. The Guardian, um, more pictures of Team GB, women's team winning uh, the football, uh, and Osborne reeling as economy enters the disaster zone. Chancellor urged to rethink austerity plan after shock slump in GDP. We're doomed. We are all doomed. The Independent. Work experience Chancellor urged to quit 
George Osborne was under intense pressure to change course last night after worse than expected official figures showed the economy shrank by 0.7% between April and June. Uh, and very quickly, the Daily Express, wonder drug to stop blindness. Experts find new way to restore sight. Uh, and the Daily Mail, 90 primary people sent home a day for a taxing class. A rising tide of violent indiscipline in primary schools was laid bare yesterday. We'll get the fun papers in later on and we'll have a look at those as well. Um, oh, look, I've got to play this. Kate Robbins is filling in for Nick Coffer and she does a fantastic impression of... Uh, Jonathan's um, cackle. I think we can call it a cackle because he's not in the building yet, so he won't be listening to this. After seven o'clock, I'll be describing it as his uh, unique laugh. Now, a day before the start of the Olympics, one of the main rail routes into London is at a standstill this morning due to cable theft. If this is affecting you or is going to affect you, I really want to hear from you this morning. 81333, start your text 3CR. You can expect delays of up to 90 minutes if you're heading on the first Capital Connect line between Bedford and Luton. Uh, Justin Dealey is at Luton train station. Justin, good morning. What's happening there? Hello, Ian. Well, at the moment, at uh, Luton train station, not not too much delayed trains going into the capital, but, of course, uh, that line is suspended between Bedford and Luton. That's due to signalling problems. Cable theft It's a story that, that we have covered many times on The Breakfast Show before. So, to give you a bit of a, an example of what's going on here with the board. So the 6.12 from Luton to Bedford, that train has been cancelled. Uh, no trains along that route whatsoever. So if you are going to Bedford this morning from Luton, you'll need to get on one of the replacement buses. But the trains going into London, the 6.22 to Brighton and also the 6.24 to London St Pancras, they are both on time. So the good news, if you like, from Luton, if you're going into the capital, you shouldn't be affected in saying that First Capital Connect on their website say there could be delays across the whole network. So, very early in the morning here, but uh, thankfully trains into London not affected too much. Have they given any indication of when this will be sorted out, Justin? How long well, did it take to replace these cables? Well, we've heard this story many times before. I mean, l- looking at the website today, First Capital Connect say lunchtime. Now, that could mean lunchtime. It could mean later this afternoon. So we can only go at this moment in time from the information they're giving us. They're saying around lunchtime. But the main people affected are going to be those travelling from Luton to Bedford. So definitely, if you're coming to, to Luton train station this morning, expecting to get on your your normal train service to go to bed for that's not going to happen uh, you are going to have to allow extra time for your journey you'll need to get a bus instead i do like the vagueness of lunchtime i, I, I have my lunch about three o'clock in the afternoon so <laughs> well we think it's around one o'clock okay but, okay but these things do change and as i said at this moment in time trains going into london they are on time okay brilliant but First Capital Connect do say that there could be delays across the whole network of up to 90 minutes. At this moment in time, things into London, not too bad. Justin, thank you very much, and I'm sure you'll keep us informed of how things develop. First Capital Connect say, as uh, Justin just mentioned, this is due to signalling problems uh, at Bedford, caused by cable theft and all lines of blocks. There is a replacement bus service between Bedford and Luton. If this uh, affects you, could you give us a call or send me a little text? I'm, I'm looking to you, dear listener, to be our reporters on this, because it's you that will be using this train service. So if uh, if you get stuck on a train, or you can't get on a train, or you have to use the replacement service, the bus service, could you send me a little text, 813 starting your text, 3CR, or give me a call, will be better. You can be one of those annoying people on a bus or on a train that, that uses their telephone. I once used my telephone on a bus. I don't really like it, but I, I kind of had to take this phone call didn't have to but i felt obliged to and this bloke (laughs) 
The bloke two seats in front of me on the bus, he turned round really slowly and stared at me. Then he just gently raised up his hand and very slowly and deliberately just raised his middle finger to me like that. And I just thought, well, you know... He's done it with class. If you do um, find yourself caught up in this, uh, this train confusion, 08459 455 555, if you give me a call. Um, we've got uh, Van and Cat have texted in 81333. Morning. All I can say is, what a waste of time and money. The games have not started yet, and already it's a disaster. Start as it intends to continue. Well, it, it was embarrassing, the North Korean flag being shown, uh, sorry, the South Korean flag being shown when North Korea came onto the pitch. There's me doing it as well, look at this. Uh, But in the great scheme of things, it'd be interesting to see, tally up how many mistakes there have been at the end of this. And Alf, um, oh, Alf, oh, Alf, I see what you've done there. You've you've done a funny. I'm going to read it out. We're asking for bells. 12 minutes past eight tomorrow. The whole of the country is going to be ringing bells as, uh, as part of an art installation piece to celebrate the beginning of the Olympics. I told my little boy this, and uh, his mum said, well, we haven't got any bells. I said, well, he can ring the doorbell. Oh, you are joking. I said, no, we can ring, get him to ring the doorbell at 12 minutes past eight for three minutes on a Friday. You're, you're joking, aren't you? You're not going to be here. I know, but get him to feel part of it, for goodness sakes. Alpha's um, texted him. Sorry, Ian, I haven't got any bells for you, as I am trying to win a Nobel Prize. A Nobel Prize. Alf. <clears throat> very poor. Very poor. I'll let you sneak that one in under the radar, but d- d- stop it. Now, we do need a bell for tomorrow. <clears throat> if anybody can supply us with a bell, that would be awesome. The plan is tomorrow, at 12 minutes past eight, when this is all going on, is we want you to phone in ringing your bells and we're going to kind of have a bit of a mashup. we're going to mix and match your bells playing but it'll be great if we had a bell in the studio and i have got no idea where i where i'd buy a bell we were talking about this this morning i'm like hey yeah let's get a bell in the studio um where do we get one from i would I, I, I would no idea where a person gets bells from so if you can help uh oh, Literally no idea. And also, I'd love you to text in and call in uh, if you agree with me or if you disagree with me about these topless blokes wandering around. It's just horrible. We've got um, a lot of building taking place uh, on the house opposite us. It's been going on for over a year. There's another six months of it. And these builders are taking up all of our parking spaces in our street. Boy, when that that, uh, couple that own that house move back in, they're going to be popular. Oh, yeah. Uh, and since there's in a little bit of sunshine, they're all parading around without any shirts on and showing off their backsides. It's horrible. Really disgusting. I don't look out my window and see, see a load of half-naked Polish blokes, and that's what I'm having to look at. It's really unpleasant. So it, here's the thing. If you're one of these chaps that thinks it's acceptable to wander around the streets semi-nude just because the sun is out, give me a call. 08459. Four double five, five double five. Give me a call and let me know about this because it, it it isn't appropriate, is it? It's not fair. It's not a nice thing for us to have to look at. Or maybe you're a fan of it. Maybe you're one of these ladies that kind of digs this sort of thing. Oh eight four five nine, four double five, five double five. You can text eight one three double three. Start your text three CR. Across beds, hearts, and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I've got lots of stuff uh, to uh, crack on with uh, this morning, including this um, terrible story here. We're asking today, how safe are you online? And do you really know who you're talking to when you do go online? Uh, Yesterday, as you heard in the news there, a Hertfordshire man was sentenced to at least 25 years in prison for murdering his teenage girlfriend who he tricked with fake Facebook friends. 19-year-old Tony Bushby invented four friends on Facebook to win over Katie Winter from Borehamwood. He killed her as she babysat her sister's children on Boxing Day. Jessica Cooper reports. She was definitely a credit to society and her loss is something that has broken our hearts and we will remain broken for a very, very long time. Katie met Tony at West Hearts College, but they would often talk on Facebook. Bushby created four fictitious friends on the social networking site, which he then used to send Katie flattering messages about him. Tony Bushby killed Katie while she was babysitting her sister's children at Sabrina's home on Boxing Day. We will try to learn to live with it, but we will never, ever, ever forget it. You know, he's a monster. He is an absolute monster. The morning after Boxing Day, Katie's mother, Joy, found her in a pool of blood. This is all numb with grief and pain. The memory is constantly there. It's not an easy thing to remember, but I've got to live on. We can assume, we can... There's um, areas where you can, you can think it's one thing. It, it looks like it may be something to do with a sexual thing. Maybe he's a deviant, but at the end of the day, nobody knows, only Tony Bushby knows why he's done it. That's Katie's auntie Faye, who doesn't know if they'll ever get the answers they need. Katie's friends said she fell in love with Bushby. They had a secretive relationship and would meet in secluded parks in Woodland. In court, the prosecutor said Katie was tricked over a period of time into believing that she was in contact with Bushby's friends. The made-up Facebook friends were called Dan Tress, Sin Darwin, Shane Plune and Crystal Stangard. Detective Inspector Carl Foster from Hertfordshire Police says the Facebook profiles were an unusual part of the investigation. I asked him how difficult it's becoming to monitor Facebook and social networking sites. In terms of uh, monitoring, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an almost impossible task. But uh, in terms of investigation, well, technology moves on um, and, and our investigation techniques have to move with them. So, yes, it, uh, it makes things more challenging. Um, it, it's time-consuming. Um, but we're fortunate that we have uh, very good people that we can rely upon, as we did in this case, um, to deal with those aspects of the investigation and, and, uh, and find what we need to find. After Katie was murdered on Boxing Day night, Bushby made inquiries to Facebook about removing an account. Jessica Cooper reporting, and later on we'll hear more from Hertfordshire Police and find out about safety on the internet. Ah, oh, it's Donovan. I always feel sorry for Donovan for some reason. I just because people, well, I view him as a poor man's Dylan. If you've ever seen um, the film Don't Look Back, the uh, documentary following Bob Dylan uh, on his UK tour, uh, I think from 1965, there's, Donovan follows him around like a little puppy just trying to, you know, th- get some of the Dylan magic. And it, it never quite worked. I do like Donovan, but I just always feel a little bit... Sorry for him. There was a thing in the paper yesterday I forgot to mention, that I was going to mention. Uh, the, uh, the Olympic site has been infested with moths. There's about, uh, well, I don't know how many moths. I don't know how you would count how many moths there are. But they're all living uh, on the Olympic Village. Is that what they call it, where the, the athletes live? I think it is. Uh, so all their clothes are going to be eaten. If you've ever had moths... 
Have you ever had moths? They're, they're a nightmare. I, I had them once in uh, the the last flat I lived in. We had moths, and they were eating our clothes, and they were um, ruining everything. Uh, and we did everything we could to try and, you know, beat it. And it was a nightmare. We did. Uh, we froze clothes. We put clothes in the freezer. We took clothes to the dry cleaners. We um, chucked clothes away. We got the mothballs. We got the, the little wooden cedar wood sticks. There's nothing you can do to beat moths. If you've got any tips, because I noticed uh, the weekend, in fact, this is why this moth story uh, hit me, that uh, a cardigan of mine had a little hole in it, and I think the moths have come back. Oh, it's a nightmare. If you've got any tips for getting rid of moths, I'm sh- I know that some of you will. 08459. Four double five five double five, or text eight one three double three. Start your text. Three CR moths are a pain, aren't they? Can't we just? Is there not some way we can just eradicate them all from from the world? What good do they serve? Anyway, it's the penultimate day of the Olympic torch relay. Today, the flame will travel from Westminster to Camden as it makes its way through London. In the run up to the Olympics, we've been hearing um, your memories of previous games. Pam Longhurst from Bovingdon near Hemel Hempstead has been talking to our reporter Jenna Benson about the Olympic torch passing through her area in 1948. My Olympic memory, and it's brought it all back to me now, I was 11 years old and I was standing at the traffic lights at the Greenford Road, Whitton Avenue traffic lights at uh, Subbury Hill Station, near Subbury Hill Station, and I saw the Olymp- I was with my mum and I saw the Olympic torch go by. And it's just brought it back to me. And it's, it's remarkable that these little memories stay in your mind and then can be triggered. So when you saw the torch, obviously it was before the Games in That's 1948. Right. It, was, it was on its way to Wembley Stadium, you see. It's just out, it was about a couple of miles from Wembley Stadium. So it's very exciting. And I, I remember seeing this man running up the road, up the hill towards Surrey Hill Station. And what about the crowds? Were a lot of people gathered? Not that many, no. I mean, there was a few of us there. But not that many, because it was 1948. There wasn't television to prompt us to go and have a look at these things. And there was the home service, I think. And we, we learned a special song at school. But I can't really... It was in Latin, but I can't really remember the, the words of it now. It was wonderful to have these memories come back to you. It was, it was such a difference to what I'd experienced, because I was just a baby when the war started, so I'd had all those years of... Very difficult times, really, but you got through. And then all of a sudden see something cheerful, something exciting. And for the future, really, the difference was very good. That's Pam Longhurst there, sharing her memories of the Olympic torch passing through her area in 1948. And tomorrow we'll hear another Olympic memory from the three counties. Kids, More kids should be learned, made to learn songs in Latin. That's what's wrong with this country. Kids don't learn songs in Latin. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are your news headlines at 6.45 on Thursday the 26th of July on BBC Three Counties Radio. A day before the start of the Olympics, one of the main uh, rail routes into London is at a standstill this morning due to cable theft. First Capital Connect's Thameslink service is not running between Bedford and Luton and disruption will continue until at least lunchtime. Detectives say they are keeping up to date with technology as a Hertfordshire man who tricked a woman with fake Facebook friends starts a life sentence for her murder. Tony Bushby had created four friends on the social networking site to gain Katie Winter's trust.
In sport, Luton and Wickham drew nil-nil in last night's pre-season friendly at Kenilworth Road. And your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. Another very warm and sunny day with some patchy cloud. Top temperature, 29 degrees Celsius. Coming up... What's the best way to cool off on a wonderful sunny day like the ones we're being treated to this week? How about visiting one of the outdoor swimming pools in the three counties? Well, that's exactly what our reporter's been up to. Hear more next. You can give me a call at any point during the show, uh, 08459 455 555. If any of the stories that I talk about uh, affect you or you have an opinion on, then you can give me a call. Or if there are things that we're not talking about that you think we should... You can give me a call up then as well, 08459 455 555. That's the number that uh, Maria and Flittick called. Good morning, Maria. Hello, good morning, Ian. What, what a delightful accent you've got. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, now, listen, Maria, you've called in about moths. Yes, I did. They, they are uh, such a nuisance, aren't they? Uh, they are. They've been eating my old cashmere wool coat and stuff like that. But they, I, we have to have a fumigation, whole house and oh. everything, and it cost us fortune. But then afterwards, I started putting this dry lavender. They oh. have to be very dry, mature lavender, but the stronger is better. Yeah. And you just scatter them in the uh, cupboard. It doesn't affect the clothes, but it will smell a little bit lavenderish. I know some people don't like it. But oh, I love the smell of lavender, Maria. Yeah, How could anyone not like it? No, there are people don't like it, oh, I know. Dear. But they they really keep most away because I didn't have to worry about moth. I do it every year. I scatter everywhere lavender. But you had your house fumigated. Yes. How much did that cost, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, it's for a few years ago. Then we could afford it. And then we put everything in the barn, in the bag, and every, all my clothes was fumigated, silk saris oh, and oh everything. Oh, my God. Yes, it did cost about, I don't know, 800 Oh, Maria, <laughs> 800 pounds to get rid of moths? Plus, yes. And the <laughs> thing is, because <laughs> when we did it, we, we had moths a couple of years ago, and they're starting to come back. But we um, took loads of clothes to the dry cleaners. We put clothes in the freezer, because that apparently, kills them. Oh, you have a big enough freezer. Well, we did it in shift. It was a horrible weekend. (laughs) But the thing is that what I found out later is that the moths live in the carpet. They'll get down the edges of the carpet. So if you miss one moth egg, that's it. They'll come back. Yeah, the best thing is you have to wet hoover it. You have to wet hoover it? Yes, you have a wet hoover. You know, it's like a washing the carpet. And you must do it right on the edges properly. That's that's where they most love to live. Yeah, I found them on the carpet too. Don't worry about it. It's horrible. (laughs) We've moved now. and uh, But uh, this weekend, I noticed a hole in one of my cardigans. I think they're following me, Maria. Oh, no, no, no. And then you get the mothballs. Beg your pardon? Which is... um, Mothballs. Oh, mothballs, yes. Yeah, Sorry. and you just put them into, around your clothes and the... Does that work? Well. Does that really work, though? They do, yes. Okay. I have in my briefcase and stuff, which I got woolen clothes in the cupboard, I just throw them. They do, they do uh, have a strong smell. Yeah. But when you, before you wear it, just air them a bit and that's all right. Maria, thank you very much. Moths, it's the hot topic. Ever been bothered by moths, Roger, in Bedford? Uh, sometimes, yes. They're a pain. I hate them. They are a pain, yeah. Uh, you've called in about bells. You can help with bells. Yes. There's some bells that, uh, I inherited from my mother. They must be about a hundred years old now. Fantastic. They sound wonderful. Can I ask, Roger, why did your mother have bells? 
I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> so she wasn't a bell ringer or anything. No, no. They're just little little bells you you hang up on a bar and 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 hit them. They sound fantastic. Yeah. Are, are you going to be joining in with the uh, bell ringing tomorrow morning at twelve minutes past eight? The whole country is being asked to ring bells to celebrate the Olympics. I thought I might just have a go. Oh, Roger, <laughs> can we give you a call tomorrow to to have a little listen on air? Yes. Would that be okay? Yes. Okay, listen, yes. before you go, Roger, you can help me, and we will speak tomorrow, you can help me with one thing. The next story I'm about to do is about outdoor swimming pools. Is the word pronounced Lido or Lido? I always pronounce it Lido. Roger, thanks very much. Speak to you tomorrow morning. <laughs> I genuinely don't know. That's what, that's now the official, uh, Roger is the official pronunciation, pronunciation expert for BBC Three Counties Radio. What did he say? Lido. Did he say Lido or Lido? I'm confused now. <laughs> Lido, it's so confusing. It's going to be another scorcher today. Temperatures are set to hit 28 degrees Celsius in parts of the three counties. A million miles away from last week when we were talking about torrential downpours angering allotment owners. What better way to spend a hot summer's day than at a Lido? Yeah, thank you, Roger. An outdoor pool. There are two within three miles of each other in one area of Bedfordshire, so we sent our reporter, Sophie Solaria, to take a dip. So we've just arrived here to Woburn Lido. It's absolutely teeming with people. The sun is out. It's about 30 degrees heat. You can see hundreds of children, mums, nans, all enjoying a picnic, enjoying the poolside, just enjoying life in the summer. It's something we've been wanting for a long, long time. A long, long time. And Probably about six weeks And now. it's only just here, but it's here indeed. Sir, what's your name? Yeah, I'm Ray Sutton. Yeah, I work here at the uh, Woburn Lido. So, Ray, this Lido here in Woburn is voluntarily run, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's a charitable that. trust. Yeah, it was donated by the Duke of uh, Bedford to the town of Woburn, and it's run by a committee of volunteers, uh, non-profit making. Lidos aren't particularly common nowadays, are no, they? No, unfortunately they're not. They were very common in the Victorian era. Uh, this, is, this pool is uh, 101 years old this year. Um, it's had a couple of refurbishments, but it's still going strong. It's still very popular. It's very dependent on the weather. When it rains, we're empty. When it's sunny, we're full. And speaking of the weather, yep. we've had very changeable weather recently. It's been very, very wet. And now you've gone from being freezing cold a to huge absolutely contrast. Absolutely. <laughs> How have you coped with this contrast? Well, very well, I think. <laughs> I hope. Yes, it's quite nice to have a few people in here. It's a very long, boring day when you're sitting here on your own. Um, we've had many of those days over the last month. Um, but the last three days have been wonderful. I think this is the most, the biggest day we've, we've ever had so far. How many are here um, today, do you say? Well, it's very difficult to say, but there's about 80 in the pool now. There's probably 100, 150 people on the grass and the surrounds. Speaking about the lack of Lidos, there's very few in the country, yeah, yet there are two day. within miles of each other. Well, there's it, one it's up the actually, road. There's actually three within the Abbey, and they were built by the Duke of Bedford. So they're all uh, for, his, for his staff, all these three. Yeah, there's one actually but in the Abbey <laughs> itself. There's one at Evershold and us. My name's Lubin from Bedford. And you've come out, you, your sunnies are on, your clothes are off, you're enjoying the Lido, are you? I am indeed. I've brought my daughter and her friend down and to enjoy the uh, the open air pool, and um, which are many few around in the, in the country. So, yeah, great day for it. So what attracts you to a Lido, then? More than anything else, just down the road, rather than going uh, to catch an easy jet flight from Luton to uh, Magaluf. Um, we've been doing um, cannonballs into the pool. That's 
sounds scary. How happy are you that it's sunny now? Really happy because it was raining before. We will have no bombing in the pool area, for goodness sake. Sophie, thank you very much for that. We'll find out more about uh, Lido's, Lido's later on. Fleetwood Mac, go your own way. Come on. Fleetwood Mac are back together with Christine McVie. We think, we think, we think. It's exciting news for us Mac heads. I used to hate Fleetwood Mac. I used to think they were ridiculous. Then I read a brilliant book um, by Lindsay Buckingham's ex-girlfriend that lifted the lid on the crazy world of Fleetwood Mac in 1977. And now I love them. In fact, and here's something you can call in about. My wife and I were struggling to come up with names for uh, our first son. We went to a Fleetwood Mac concert. Halfway through the concert, we both turned to each other and reeled off four names. He's got four names. We reeled off four names and went, boom, that's it. He's not called Mac. He's not called Lindsay. He's called Stevie Nicks. No, he's not. So I, I wondered, where, when and how did you name your children? Where, when and how did you name your children? I came up with a name for my son uh, at a Fleetwood Mac concert. The, the, and the name's not in any way connected with, with Fleetwood Mac. It just... Um, we were so in the zone and so enjoying the uh, the vibes that the band were creating that we just kind of relaxed and came up with his name. So where, when, and how, and indeed, let's put this in there, why did you come up with your kids' names? 08459 455 555. You can text uh, on that one as well, 81333. Start your text 3CR and email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Coming up in the next hour, I want your calls on topless men parading around. It's not the done thing, is it? Where and when did you name your children? That cable theft that's affecting the trains and more after the news and sport with Simon Oxley. Good morning, dear listener. Three minutes, nearly four minutes past seven. It's Thursday morning. Thursdays are good because it's, it's virtually the weekend. So, you know, everyone kind of starts easing off a little bit of work. I don't think much work gets done on Thursdays. Fridays, none at all. Uh, This is Ian Lee uh, on BBC Three Counties Radio, your breakfast show here until nine o'clock when JVS comes in uh, and takes over. This morning, talking more about internet safety, finding out about this cable theft and how it's affecting the trains. And can you call in? I'm right on this, aren't I? I know I'm right on this. It's horrible when men walk around the streets topless. I can barely stand it at the beach, but in the middle of town... Did you go out yesterday? Did you notice a lot of horrible blokes wandering around with their shirts off? It's just disgusting. Big flabby bellies and these moobs flapping around. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. You give me a call and support me. Or maybe you think I'm totally wrong. Maybe you are one of these blokes that dares to bear. We're also asking where and when did you name your kids? How? I named my first son. We came up with the name while we were at a Fleetwood Mac concert. Uh, Andy on Twitter has uh, tweeted me, We got our daughter's name after uber-violent TV show Spartacus. She's called, now I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, Navia, after one of the supporting cast. How did you name your kids? It's a tough one, isn't it? And you can buy books. We did this. What a waste of money this was. 10,001 children's names. Uh, What? It's the dullest read ever. 
08459 455 555 is the phone number 81333 start your text 3CR or email 3CR at bbc.co.uk Call 08459 it's, it, this is a very, very difficult time for people travelling with First Capital Cut this morning. Um, I can only apologise. Last night there was, you know, deliberate, deliberate criminal um, at, attempt to steal cable um, from an area that shortly north of Flitwick. Um, and what that's done is knock out the signalling um, around Bedford, completely knock it out. Um, overnight, we've been um, struggling but successfully managed to get out um, most of our trains from the sidings ready for this morning's service. But 23 of those 109 trains that we use every morning to get people to and from work are still trapped in sidings. So what it means is we can't run any services in and out of, in or out of Bedford. Um, south of Flitwick, we have a we have trains about every half hour. From Luton, it's better. We've got four trains an hour running to Wimbledon and Sutton. Um, but it's a greatly reduced service. People are going to find it really difficult this morning to get to and from work. I'm, I can only apologise to people. We've what, Yes, please carry on. No, what, what kind of percentage are you operating on, then, in terms of stock? How much would you normally have and how much have you got out now at the moment? Right. Well, in terms of the number of trains, it sounds much easier because um, it's twenty. Um, it's all but twenty-three of right. hundred and nine um, trains we would normally run. But you've got to add to that the problems we have with not being able to run our trains up to Bedford, turn them around, come back. It completely uh, alters the the timetable and, and makes right. it very difficult. So, in terms of percentage, it's it's greatly greatly right. reduced. Um, one of the things we've been trying to do, of course, and we have been doing, is uh, we've been looking to get buses as well, um, so that people from Bedford, because that's the key advice, is what do you do if you're at Bedford? Mm. Well, if I was at Bedford, I would be looking to get across to the Great Northern Route, um, drive over to places like perhaps like Sandy. If you've got a car parking season ticket with First Capital Connect for Bedford, you'll find it's going to be accepted over there as well. Okay. You can use your train ticket on those services, get into London that way. What can, you, what, what can you tell us about the cable theft? What do you know? And why would they take the cables? What's in there? Copper? Something like that? Well, the whole point about metal now, and people might have heard this, is that the value of metal has really soared um, in recent months or years, making cable now a real target for people. Um, and, um, I mean, what's been taken here is a telecommunication cable. Um, there's been certainly an attempt um, to take it. Uh, and, I mean, to the point where large bundles of cable have been physically moved out of the way, I understand, in order for them to try to cut through this cable to get it. And, you know, I mean, for the, for, for the criminals, and they think, oh, this is a quick and easy buck, but what they're not thinking about, and of course they won't, will they, is a massive disruption. This is causing thousands of people who are trying to use our services this morning. We find it just, it's so frustrating when 
you know, we we plan with a meticulous care. Um, it's a very complicated timetable to mm. get people to and from work each morning. It really isn't. Well, Roger, you mentioned work, but the the Olympics starts tomorrow. How is it going to affect people then? Um, well, um, Network Rail is uh, looking at the damage now. They have been looking at the damage overnight, and they're working on it. I don't have a time from them yet as to when they're going to be able to have this back up and running. Um, so, so it um, could be a problem tomorrow. I, I, I don't know that. Um, I, I would be surprised, um, but. Uh, really, we need to find out from the engineers how severe this is and how long it will take them to fix that. Roger, listen, thank you very much. Um, we will be th- th- talking to you throughout the day, I'm sure, and as soon as you have a, a, any time scale of when this could be sorted out, please do let us know. It's Roger Perkins there, a First Capital Connect. Came on and apologised. I think that, that's fair enough. Well done him for doing that. Not his fault. Uh, if this is affecting you, 08459 555. Uh, our reporter, Justin Dealey, is at Leegrave train station. Justin, what's happening where you are? Well, well it's quite a confusing situation, actually, Ian, because um, I was handed a piece of paper when I arrived here at the train station this morning. Uh, a few headlines on here. First Capital Connect services are unable to run between Luton and Bedford. Now, the stations involved there would be Flittick, Harlington and Leegrave. Well, I'm at Leegrave right now, and a train has left for London just a few moments ago. So it it is quite confusing. The situation at Luton earlier was certainly much better. Um, Speaking to some of the staff here, their advice, if you're travelling into London in particular today, if you're heading from this area, is to go to Luton because more trains are going through there. It's a limited service. And we mentioned about this line between Bedford and Luton. There is a replacement bus service from Luton going to Bedford. You won't get that bus here at Leegrave. Now, at around 10 to 7 this morning, Ian, I spoke to a passenger and like many, was having a few problems. Well, I've been uh, waiting since 6.35, and uh, three trains have come in, and uh, no trains have come in, actually, and they haven't actually said anything. So I've come around to ask the uh, officer here, and he said he doesn't know much either. Before leaving home, I actually heard uh, an announcement on the BBC saying that there weren't any trains leaving from Luton. And uh, my husband did suggest I go to Hitchin. Mm. But uh, I said, I'll just go and have a look. Because sometimes, you know, the news is not updated. But it appears that there is a problem. We just don't know what. See, the information is quite unclear for for both yourself and myself this morning. But we are being told your next train will be going at 6.56. We can only hope for the best, can't we? Yeah, we can, because I need to get into work. Do you think that the train network can cope with the Olympics? We are, what, uh, one day away from the Olympic Games in London. Uh, This, of course, is one of the main routes. Can we cope? I think we can, because, to be honest, this year we haven't had that much trouble with the trains. I mean, they've run on time. There's been very few delays. So this year it hasn't been too bad. But uh, last year there were problems. Here comes a very fast train right now. Hopefully your train will arrive on time in a few minutes. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, thank you, bye. And she dashed off for a train in. Thankfully, she got that train. That was the 6.56 going into London, which was due at 6.41. So just to, to kind of recap on this information which I received this morning, it says here, First Capsule Connect services are unable to run between Luton and Bedford. East Midland trains, their services are unable to call at Bedford on journeys towards London, but trains from London can call normally. Trains may be delayed for up to 20 minutes and also London Midland trains between Bedford and Bletchley will not call at Bedford so quite confusing I think the advice uh, today is quite clear allow extra time for your journey because there could be delays across the whole of this network Justin thanks very much uh, Roger Perkins from First Car- Capital Connect are you still there 
Hello, I, I am. Very quickly, the, the lady there was saying that there was, it was a lack of communication with the staff, that a lot of the staff weren't quite sure what was happening and when. Is that something that you can, you can sort out? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, well, yes, of course. Sorry, yes, of course we, we can. Um, the difficulty is when something like this happens, um, in the initial stages of the service, early morning, um, it, it, it's difficult to know what we're going to be able to run until we can get that service in place um, and then as it becomes more clear in that first 30 minutes or so we can then update it so for example we do have two trains an hour running from Flitic and we're going to be updating that information as well on the website because you were, as you were saying um, the message at the moment is that there are no trains between Bedford and Luton well obviously there are no trains in or out of Bedford for the reasons I gave you but we do have two trains an hour from Flitic however I think the advice that I heard your colleague giving that you know go perhaps go to Luton, where there is a better service from Luton, is a good one, or go to the Great Northern Route, places like Hitchin, um, where from where you get a much better service into London. Roger Perkins of First Capital Connect, thank you very much. Justin, uh, uh, thank you very much. Um, if this does affect you, and I'm sure it's affecting loads of you, maybe you're, you're in your car driving to another station, maybe you're even considering driving into, into London or something, 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Give us a call, let us know how this is affecting you, and um, let us know what the problems are. Uh, oh, it's time for this. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are the headlines this morning on Thursday the 26th of July on BBC Three Counties Radio. A day before the start of the Olympics, one of the main rail routes into London is at a standstill this morning due to cable theft. First Capital Connect's Thameslink service is not running between Bedford and Luton and disruption is likely to continue until at least lunchtime. Detectives say they are keeping up to date with technology as a Hertfordshire man who tricked a woman with fake Facebook friends starts a life sentence for her murder. Tony Bushby had created four friends on the social networking site to gain Katie Winter's trust. In sport, Luton and Wickham drew nil-nil in last night's pre-season friendly at Kenilworth Road. We'll have a full sports bulletin with Simon in 15 minutes. We'll also get the weather in a moment with Phil Garner. And coming up... We're investigating internet safety this morning after the tragic story of Kate Winter. Next, we speak to Hertfordshire Police. Uh, I'm asking, is it ever acceptable um, for men to walk around topless in town? And if Jonathan Vernon-Smith is listening, Jonathan, uh, first of all, A, can you stop doing it? And B, this should be your phoning topic at nine o'clock. This will get them calling in. We've got uh, Coral on Twitter who said, Men who take their top off in the street, it's the worst thing ever. Can it please be made illegal? It is just horrible. I was, was in a very posh part of London yesterday. Bell-sized park, don't you know? And there were just loads of people walking, loads of blokes with their tops off, with their horrible flabby tummies and their moobs, and, oh, one nearly touched me. I don't want to touch... I don't, I don't like naked people at the best of times. I don't want to touch a naked, sweaty man in a hot day. It was horrible. Please, put your tops on. We don't want this. We're also asking, where and how... And why did you name your children? I named my uh, first son uh, at a Fleetwood Mac concert. We didn't christen him there. That would be weird. We've got some uh, texts in on this. Leslie in Bedford has texted 81333, starting a text 3CR. I was a big fan of the TV programme Happy Days. No, I didn't call him Fonzie. My, oh, here we go. This is good. My hubby at the time loved Black Sabbath, so we compromised on the name Richie, as in Richie Cunningham <laughs> and Richie Blackmore. That's brilliant! How many people can say I'm named after Richie Cunningham and Richie Blackmore? Uh, I just started following Henry Winkler on Twitter. I've met him. He's one of the nicest men in the world. He was over about six, seven years ago. 
doing his first pantomime over here, which I think he does pretty much every year now. And uh, I, I did a little filming thing with him, and I said, oh, please come on my radio show. He said, Ian, I'd love to. I would absolutely love to. Uh, I just sort it out. Uh, and it, we never heard from him again. I thought, oh, well, he was, he was being all show busy. Then one evening, I was doing the show, and we got a phone call, and my producer came on and said, um, the Fonz is on the phone? I said, what? And it was the Fonz. The Fonz had phoned up, and he said, Ian, I'm really sorry. I, I just have been too busy to come on your show, but I'm at a restaurant now. I've just had my main. I'm waiting for dessert, and so I thought I'd phone you up. The fo- the fo- what a nice man the Fonz is, Henry Winkler. Uh, Barry um, in Stevenage says, I was in the public house the other day. Mm. That's a pub. When I heard a customer say how proud he was to have named his child after St George's Day. Oh, God. Such an idiot. I trust you lot, and then you send me in rubbish jokes. I was in the public house the other day when I heard a customer say how proud he was to have named his uh, child after St George's Day, and another customer say how proud he was to have named his son after St An- Andrew after St Andrew's Day, and another customer said he'd named his son Pancake. I love it funny, right? I'm trusting you, dear listener, to be my eyes and my ears out on the street. I'm asking for all this information about the trains. Uh, I'm asking about where you named your kids, about topless blokes. And you're sending in rubbish jokes? You're tricking me into reading absolute nonsense? No, no. This is, listen, I'm only here for another week. This week and next week. This is not going to continue, OK? Beds, hearts and bugs, weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the weather news now with Phil Garner. Good morning, Phil. Morning. What have you got for us? It's going to be another lovely day today. Yeah. If you like hot weather, that is. There's your weather this morning. Phil, I have to ask you a personal mm. question. I hope you don't mind. Yeah, fire away. Would you ever consider walking around the centre of town topless? Uh, yes, I think I might do. What? Yes. Would you not? really do it? Yes. Oh, Phil! But only for a bit. You've disappointed. Oh, no, not for. A- <laughs> because I-, I was complaining. This 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 hot weather is nice. It's a little bit too hot for my taste. But yesterday, I was in a very posh part of London in Belsize mm-hmm. Park, and there were loads of horrible blokes just walking around topless. Well, I think if you've got it, flaunt it. Is what it comes down to. <laughs> have Have you got it? I think I have. There we go, Phil Garner. Who's got it? <laughs> Are you as surprised as I am? <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Uh, it, it really does upset me, these people walking around top. It's, it's not nice at all. I noticed none of you have called in to say that you were doing it yesterday. You were walking around in, in Bedford or Luton or Milton Keynes with your tops off. I think BBC Three Counties hopefully attracts a, a, a better class of listener. I don't want to be all snobby, but... 08459 455 555 is the phone number. A Hertfordshire man who tricked a woman with fake Facebook friends has been sentenced to life in prison for killing her. Katie Winter was babysitting her sister's children on Boxing Day in Borehamwood when she was murdered by Tony Bushby. He'd created four Facebook friends to gain Katie's trust. Our reporter, Jessica Cooper, spoke to Katie's sister, Sabrina, along with her auntie, Faye, and mother, Joy. She was very secretive about Tony, um, for whatever reasons I'm, I'm unaware of, but she had mentioned him before, but every time I'd gone to speak to her about it or try and... Get, get some form of information from her in regards to her relationship with Tony, I would not really get anything. She was very secretive about the relationship. And what impact has this had a, a, as a whole on the family? Well, it's, um, it's a double-ended sword. It's brought the family close and at the same time it's ripped us to pieces because the question is, why Katie? And because we'll never get the answer for that, we'll forever ask that question, why, Mm. Katie? But at the same time, it has brought a lot of the family very, very close. Mm. Yeah, we've bonded. And 
for, for you, uh, you, we had the statement read out in court, your impact statement about trying to try and put into words how this has affected you. And uh, one of the, the clear points that came out of that was you were the person who walked into the house yeah. um, and found your daughter. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what that's like. I can't imagine. It's as though I'm numb with grief and pain. The memory is constantly there and it's not an easy thing to remember. But I've got to live on. Oh dear. Well, we can talk now to Detective Inspector Carl Foster from Hertfordshire Police. Good morning, Detective Inspector. Good morning, Ian. What a terrible story. Why did Tony Bushby create these fake friends? Um, well, to be honest, that's a, a, a question that I, I'm not sure we'll ever get the answer to. Clearly, he um, he created uh, these Facebook profiles to, to assist in his manipulation of Katie. Um, why, why he specifically targeted Katie, as you heard from uh, her mother there, I don't think we'll ever know. But um, I, I think he was hell-bent hell on uh, exploiting whatever medium he could to, mm. um, to, to target Katie, and that's clearly what he succeeded in doing. What do you know about the profiles that Tony made? Uh, well, what, what we know about them, we obviously know um, the, the names of the individuals that they were the, that they were set up in. Um, those have, uh, have have come out into the public domain: um, Dan Tress, Shane Pluon, Crystal Stangard, and Sin Darwin. Um, I would suggest those names have some form of significance to Bushby himself. Again, um, what that is, I, I, I have no idea. Um, and we know that, that um, and we're able to prove that those were profiles that were uh, created by Tony uh, on his own, Tony Bushby on his own laptop, um, and that uh, he was solely responsible for manipulating those profiles. And did it? Did they look real? Would would people have thought they were, were real people and real profiles? Yes, absolutely. Are social networks increasingly starting to play a part in serious crime? Um, well, social networking is, is, is a part of everyday life, isn't it? Mm. And as, as, as modern technology sort of moves on, then we have to move with it. Um, we, we have our own high-tech crime units um, that, that, that are set up. We have our own experts within those units. And indeed, uh, in this case, it was, it was one of our own officers that, um, that, that did that huge piece of work. And it was his evidence that was, was absolutely key uh, in securing our, uh, the conviction. Uh, Tony Bushby's been sentenced to life in prison. Are you satisfied with the outcome of this case? Um, well, as satisfied as you mm. can be when you're investigating a murder, yes, absolutely. He um, he is a very dangerous individual. Um, he he needs to be behind bars, and I'm I'm satisfied that um, the, the the general public in Hertfordshire are safer as a result of him um, receiving that sentence. Listen, thank you very much for coming on the air, and thank you for your your hard work in uh, in this case. The, the police kind of get a knocking, and sometimes you can see why, but then they do things like this, and you've got to think. You know, where would we be without them? That was uh, Detective Inspector Carl Foster from Hertfordshire Police uh, talking about Tony Bushby, who's been sentenced to life for murdering Kate Winter. A sad story. You just you feel you, you hear something like that, like, you know, you, you can't help but feel for that family there. Oh, it always feels odd moving on after these kind of stories, but that's the very nature of this sort of show, and that's exactly what we have to do. We still haven't got all of the newspapers in yet. What on earth is going on? What on earth is going on? We haven't got the fun ones, so I'm going to quickly go. Well, I'm going to quickly go through the, the papers that we do have, um, and then I'm going to stop on one because someone called in to ask for a little bit more information about one of the stories that I briefly mentioned. Uh, let's go through some of them quickly if we can. The Guardian, Osborne reeling as economy enters the disaster zone. Chancellor urged to rethink austerity plan after shock slump in GDP. We're all doomed. We are all doomed. Uh, the Telegraph. 
Um, Osborne attacked as recession deepens. Plan A, not enough, say business leaders. Peer mocks work experience. Um, and let the games begin. Team GB, the women's team there, celebrating winning, even though uh, there were some upsets with the uh, the North Korean team being upset that the South Korean flag was being flown. Daily Mail, 90 primary pupils sent home a day for a tax in class. The independent work experience chancellor urged to quit as GDP slumps. And the Daily Express, now someone called in uh, who's a visually impaired, I don't know to what level, but wanted to hear more about this. The Daily Express, wonder drug to stop blindness. Experts find new way to restore sight. Now don't get too excited. We mentioned this yesterday, that the Mail is particularly good at doing this, um, and the Express does it to a certain extent as well. They big up these exciting medical finds, and you think, oh, a cure for MS. Oh, Alzheimer's, is they've sorted that out now. Blindness today. And then you read the story, and actually... Uh, a cure for blindness has moved a major step closer after a simple chemical injection in the eye was shown to restore, restore sight. Well, it turns out they've only tested it on mice so far, which means, what, five, ten years away from testing it on humans? They're a long way away. So if you are blind or visually impaired, don't get too excited about that news story, I'm afraid. Call 08459-455-555-BBC-three-counties-radio-BBC-three-counties-radio-BBC-three-counties-radio-BBC-three-counties-radio-BBC-three-counties-radio-BBC-three-counties-radio-BBC-three-counties-radio-BBC-three-counties-
The agreement will speed up the process by which roads can be closed in order for film and television production to take place. At the moment, it's about six to eight weeks. It could get it down to three. And those extra weeks will make a big difference to small-budget films that want to come to our area and invest. Let's take a little walk, shall we? Yep. Right, we've now arrived at the management suite where there's lots of posters up around us of all the films that you've made here. One of them is a film called The Man Who Knew Too Little with Bill Murray in it. That's right, and that was made at a time when the studios were very quiet about ten years ago. And then Bill Murray came back last year to make Hyde Park on the Hudson. And that's when we realised we had this problem and needed this legislation because they had a very short shooting schedule, very small budget, and when they were told how much notice they needed to close one road up in Shenley, they couldn't redo the schedule in any other way and it looked like the film might go under. So Bill Murray was the catalyst? Bill Murray certainly was, and who could be a greater catalyst than him? great actor, much loved, uh, and someone who enjoys the industry and enjoys our studios. So let me take you now to where the films were actually made. My husband is, um, well, he's required to speak publicly. Yeah, here we are on one of the smaller stages where the King's Speech uh, encamped a few years ago. I have received... <laughs> The managing director of the studios at the time said, Morris, I'll take you round the set of a film called The King's Speech. And I said, what's that about? And he said, it's about a monarch who's got a speech impediment. And I remember turning around to him and saying, who the hell is going to go to the cinema to see a film about a monarch with a speech impediment? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know any jokes? Timing isn't my strong suit. This is Studio 8, which is in the middle. Uh, quite an old-looking stage. It's got a wooden floor with the words tank on it. Yeah. That was the tank that was used in the Indiana Jones film, that famous one, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they put all the snakes in it all those years ago. They put 6,000 snakes in. Uh, when they collected them, they only found 5,000. And for the next 20 years, residents of Hartsmere were very concerned every time they lifted their toilet seats. That was a long time ago now. <laughs> I don't think that would be allowed nowadays. The difficulty we've got at the moment is we're in Hertfordshire, very busy streets, very busy roads, lots of traffic, quite understandably, getting to and from business. Hertfordshire has wonderful locations, wonderful buildings, uh, but they don't always know exactly when it is they're going to have their shooting schedule. And the current rules and regulations mean they need to give about six to eight weeks' notice before they can film and shut a road down and be able to film on location. And the idea of the legislation is to say, look, we can cut out some of that bureaucracy. How hard is it to get this agreement? Well, you've only got one day a year for, to get private legislation through, and so the art of doing this correctly is to get your members of parliament on side, make the case to local residents that this is a good thing for the area so you get no objections. It's going to cost about £70,000. The money's been put up by Ulster Studios, by all the local authorities in Hertfordshire, and by the county, up to 20000 from Hertfordshire County Council. If there's a shortfall, they'll fund the shortfall up to £20,000. Is £20,000 a good use of money to get that road closed a few weeks sooner? than it would anyway. Well, very much so, because if you're talking about the majority of films being made in, say, uh, Elstree, low-budget films, so every penny counts, and if a studio's and a production facility knows it's going to be held up or can't get permissions quick enough, they'll take their money elsewhere. You only need to lose three or four of those films a year, 15, 20 million pounds, you lose a load of income. 20,000 pounds is very small in the general scheme of the whole of Hertfordshire, just to assure our place, to continue our reputation as being one of the finest counties for film and television production across the whole country. 
Well, a consultation is open from the 16th of July uh, to the 31st of August, and anyone with a specific interest or concern regarding this proposal is invited to look at the draft bill and get in touch to discuss their views. The easiest way to do this is by viewing the consultation online at heartsdirect.org slash consultations. Okay. Um, talking about kids' names, when and where did you name your kids? When I was born, my three-year-old uh, sister's favourite programme was The Wooden Tops. Google it if you're under 40. I guess I should be grateful they named me Jenny rather than Spotty Dog. I think it should be compulsory. Oh, here we go. This is then going on to topless men. I, should, I think it should be compulsory for all men who look like Shamar Moore to go topless whatever the weather. Now, I've never heard of this Shamar Moore. Apparently, he's a very buff-looking gentleman. Shamar Moore. He should go topless whatever the weather. Any man who doesn't should save their nudity for those who love them regardless. Jen, I don't think you should be naked in the bedroom. Very rarely would, uh, uh, would I be naked, um, if I can avoid it at all. Not a fan of it in the slightest. I always wear clothes. You say, well, why, why would you? Men's bits in particular are blooming horrible, aren't they? 08459 455 555. Have you seen any men wandering around town yesterday, topless? It's such an unpleasant sight. It really... One of them almost touched me yesterday. He brushed past very, very close. He was sweaty, he was horror... Oh, no! I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that in the slightest. You can give me a call on that. Uh, also, um, if you're affected by this train disruption that's going on with the theft of some cable, and we'll be finding out more about it later on, but in case you hadn't heard, a day before the start of the Olympics, one of the main rail routes into London is facing massive disruption this morning due to cable theft. The Thameslink service is not running between Bedford and Luton, and disruption is likely to continue until at least lunchtime. That's affecting you. Can you send me a little text? 81333, starting your text, 3CR. There's an odd piece in the telegraph from alison pearson and it's it's reflecting on the uh, the horrible shooting that took place uh, at, in colorado they're calling it the batman shooting i find that quite a, a lazy term really and the headline that in this alison pearson article is why was a child watching such a violent movie now yes you could be asking why was a six-year-old uh, watching such a movie why was a six-year-old in midnight screening uh but the six-year-old was shot and was killed in this and from reading this piece i've read this a couple of times this alison pearson piece she's almost almost not quite it would seem to me sort of blaming the mum that this little girl was caught up in the gunfire now yes there is a, you could ask the question should a six-year-old have been going to see batman probably not it's quite violent should a six-year-old have been at a midnight screening well, that's a different question but the, the tone of this piece that she's written does sit with, quite uncomfortably with me in that it, it, it kind of it, it, the implication i get is that she seems to be saying it's, it's possibly the mother's fault that this happened i don't know maybe i'm reading it wrong maybe i'm reading it wrong if i am miss pearson i uh, i apologize have a little look it's on the telegraph page 23 uh, let me know what you think oh eight four five nine four double five five double five uh, and you can call in this morning. This is the thing. I'm, do- I'm here this week and next week. And while I'm doing this show for this limited time, uh, you are more than welcome to call in any time you want about anything. If it's one of the stories that we're talking about, would love to get your opinion on uh, on it. Uh, or if it's something that you think we should be talking about that we're not quite talking about. Uh, then again, you can call in or you can text in or you can email at any point. 
uh, and, and give us your opinions about things. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are the headlines this morning, Thursday the 26th of July on BBC Three Counties Radio. A day before the start of the Olympics, one of the main rail routes into London is facing massive disruption this morning due to cable theft. The Thameslink service is not running between Bedford and Luton and disruption is likely to continue until at least lunchtime. Detectives say they are keeping up to date with technology as a Hertfordshire man who tricked a woman with fake Facebook friends starts a life sentence for her murder. Tony Bushby had created four friends on the social networking site to gain Katie Winter's trust. In sport, Luton and Wickham drew nil-nil in last night's pre-season friendly at Kenilworth Road. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks. Another very warm and sunny day with some uh, patchy clouds. Top temperature 29 degrees Celsius. And coming up, as spectators make their way into London from other countries, it's being reported this morning that the plans to keep queues down at Heathrow may put the country at risk. I haven't got The Sun today, which is a shame, because I'd like to read it, because apparently the front page of The Sun uh, is the story that we mentioned yesterday about the 11-year-old boy who managed to get through, through airport security and um, sneak onto an aeroplane to Italy. Now, his, his excuses... Get this, this is brilliant, right? His excuse was he was looking for a toilet. Ah, uh, brilliant. Brilliant. That's wonderful. Kids are coming up with excuses. It's, it's the best thing. Yeah, I was looking for a toilet. So I left my mum in the shopping centre, went to the airport, snuck through security, got onto a plane and found a toilet there. You are joking. Later on in the show, we'll be going to... This is an interesting thing. Uh, thing. It was in the paper yesterday. Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, uh, had a go at a fan during a concert uh, because he was on his mobile phone. He was texting on his mobile phone all the way through the concert. And Bruce Dickinson, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase because he used slightly uh, fruity language, shall we say, went, Oi! You! Stop the concert! Oi, you! The bald bloke in the white T-shirt. You've been texting for the last three songs. Now stop it and pay attention. I think that's wonderful. I think that's wonderful. When I go to a concert, the new thing at concerts now is that everybody, as soon as the acts come on stage, hold up their mobile phones and film it. And film the whole concert. Come on, enjoy the moment. Enjoy the experience, that you're, the live experience in front of you. Not seeing it on a three-inch screen. I might film one song. I always... Um, if it's, I always phone up a friend and play one song down the phone to them. But that's it. Later on in the show, we'll be talking about modern manners later on. Should mobile phones uh, be banned at events like that? If you've got a view on that, you can text me, 81333. Uh, we've got Pat in Luton on the line. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. How are you? I'm Pat. Do you know what? I think I'm getting away with it today, just about. What have you got for us? You've called in about trains. Well, this to do with the trains, yes. But, Pat, can I ask you, is your mouth anywhere near your telephone? Um? Is, is your mouth and your ear anywhere near your telephone? Oh, am I all right now? You're better now, yes. Have you taken it off that awful hands-free? Oh, that's, that's, um, uh, what did I say? I yeah, don't know. I'm an old, old, old pensioner now. Um, what? <clears throat> you know these cable, you know these cable thefts? Yes, the cable thefts that have affected the trains today, yes. Yeah. Now, this technological age, progressing as it is, now surely a simple thing would be a large Mac 
based on the uh, remember the in the town centres you'd get you get maps and you'd press where you and it tells you where you are. It would light up. You are here, and then you press a button, and it would light up and tell you where the That's swimming pool was. Right, boss. Yeah. Now, surely this technology, they can have large maps in their offices or at a main station of the whole system or whatever they do, and not only would it light up, but a buzzer would buzz as soon as some, something's been interfered with along the line. Mm. And I think that's, that can be done. You know what I mean? It makes sense. I, t- I tell you what, though, Pat, I bet that would cost millions. I don't know why, but I bet it would. And you and I would be paying for that. Oh, but we pay for everything, yes. But at the same time, if they didn't do it, it still costs millions anyway. Mm. Yeah, you're right. So it's costing it's costing us all the time for replacement of cables, like. Well, we may we may be. I'm not quite sure, but we may be speaking to the guy from the train company a little bit later on in the show. So I'm going to put that to him, Pat, and see what he says. Ah, oh, I'll be listening in. About what time do you reckon? Uh, it'll be sometime after eight. I'm not sure. Okay, dog. Uh, Pat, one final question before you go. Yeah. Would you ever walk around Luton topless? Not at my age. Now, <clears throat> that's something I've never done. I should work on the buildings as a youth, like an older, yeah. on farms, driving tractors, on building sites and in cemeteries in different places. I'd be topless in the heat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because in, in the summer, you can work to keep cool, but in the winter, you couldn't work to keep no, in the yeah, in the summer no, you to keep cool, what? but in the in in the winter you couldn't work to keep um, warm. No, you had to work to keep warm. No, hang on a minute. Let me get this right. So, in the summer, what's this? In the summer you want to keep cool, and in the winter you want to keep warm. That's right. We got it, Pat. Thank you very much indeed. We cleared up that confusion there. I think I may have planted the seed in Pat's head. I think Pat. I think if you're in Luton today, you might see Pat uh, walking around topless. Something for the ladies out there. Uh, 08459 four double five five double five is the telephone number. If uh, uh, I, I, No one has called in to say, yeah, do you know what? I walk around topless. I do it. Do, do, do you do it? Are you brave enough to call in and admit that you've done it? Oh, it's just, it really makes me very uncomfortable. 08459 four double five five double five. Well, a, a, a chap who'd never walk around topless is going to join me on now. Join me on the show now. A day after a 24-hour uh, strike at Heathrow was called off, a BBC investigation has heard claims that efforts to reduce queues at the airport ahead of the Olympics is putting national security at risk. Adrian Goldberg has been investigating for the report, which goes out tonight on Radio Four, and he joins us now. Good morning, uh, Adrian. Hey, how are you? you yeah, right? I'm very well. You very quickly. You'd never walk around topless in town, would you, Adrian? Uh, oh. No. Oh, no, go on then. No, the, you said I wouldn't, so I'm going to back you oh, up. Oh, no. you, you almost <laughs> disappointed me there. Adrian, <laughs> no, what's, actually, what's I been... I don't, I don't think my moves would stand up to the scrutiny. <laughs> I'm getting them now. I'm, I'm 40 <laughs> next year, and I'm... Anyway, let's, we're off on a tangent. Adrian, what's, what's been going on with, uh, with, the, with this? Yeah, well, I'm sure you remember, Ian, that earlier this year there were large queues at the arrivals terminals of some of Britain's ports and airports, and that prompted some headline-grabbing fears that when visitors arrive for the Olympics, they'd actually spend more time in the waiting hall clearing customs than they actually would at the Games. And by far the worst delays, certainly in terms of international PR, occurred at Heathrow, which, of course, is where most overseas visitors to the Olympics will be arriving. And in April, some passengers are waiting up to three hours 
powers wow. to clear customs, and that prompted the government to act. They well, had to do something. But, but what have they done? Because I remember it was it was incredible. All this you get all this mobile phone footage going up on the news and stuff, and it just looked ridiculous. What have they done to try and sort this out? Well, it did. It was a PR embarrassment to say the least. So what they've done, we've established they've hired five hundred extra staff to deal with the queuing problem at Heathrow. But of course, that's come at a price to you and me. We've established they've spent six million pounds covering just the Olympic period at Heathrow, uh, drafting in these 500 staff for the Olympics and Paralympic period. And Stephen Taylor from the PCS union at Heathrow, he even claims that a couple who had previously been made redundant and had then retired to South America have now been rehired and flown in, he says, at taxpayers' expense from Brazil. Both volunteered to assist during the critical incident period of the Olympics. And for the pleasure of doing that, the taxpayer will pay their flight from Brazil, their accommodation, their subsistence, and their flight home. Fantastic. Can I get a flight to Brazil? That sounds <laughs> wonderful. What does the Home Office say about this? Well, it does It does sound wonderful, doesn't it? I should say the Home Office categorically deny the story. Stephen Taylor from the PCS Union stands by it. So there's a dispute there. What's not in doubt, though, Ian, is that 120 former Border Force employees, these are people who were deemed surplus to requirement, have taken a, a taxpayer-funded package to leave the service and were made redundant, have now been temporarily rehired for the Olympic period at a cost to you, me, other taxpayers of £680,000. Now, the unions, with this background of this strike threat, which was, of course, called off yesterday, say that this proves their point that jobs in the border force and the border agency have been cut too fast and too hard. The government's planning to cut 5,000 border jobs, around a fifth of the total, by 2015. Well, the main thing I guess we should be concerned with is, is safety. So what does all this mean for border security. Yeah, well, uh, this is absolutely the heart of the story and we've been told by immigration that because of the focus on beating queues, staff have been put on immigration control who simply haven't been trained properly. People with maybe just two days training compared to mm. the normal six weeks and there are allegations that suspected drugs couriers have been allowed through at Heathrow and John McDonnell, he's the MP for Hayes and Harlington, which covers Heathrow he warns that because so many resources are being put simply into beating the queues and getting people through as quickly as possible, he warns that even terrorist suspects could be slipping through either at other ports or at Heathrow, uh, putting national security at risk. Our borders are insecure. People will be coming through who shouldn't be coming through. Goods may well be coming through that shouldn't be coming through. That includes drugs. The worst element of it, there's a real risk now that terrorist suspects are walking through. Oh, what does the Home Office say to that? Well, on the drugs issue, they say there have been significant drug seizures at various ports in recent weeks. They say they're transforming the way the system works to deliver improved waiting times, and they say we do have a secure border. Uh, Adrian, listen, I, I shall be listening intently. I'm a big fan of your work. Now, go and put your shirt on, for goodness sakes. <laughs> uh, you can judge for yourself, dear listener. You can hear Adrian's full report tonight, 8 o'clock on Radio 4. And he is a cracking broadcaster. I'm a big fan of his show on Five Live and in other places where he's worked. And he does... He's one of those people who, who can ask the questions that you, you're listening and your toes are curling and you're swarming, swarming going, how on earth is he asking that? He'll do it. Uh, it will be a cracking listen. Uh, Radio 4, tonight, uh, 8 o'clock. Well done indeed. So, uh, we have yet to get anybody to phone in in support of the topless gentleman walking around town. And it, th there must be some of you listening to this who have done it. I can't believe 
that no one listening to this show right now has done it. You can text in, you can call in, and we will change your name if you want to be anonymous. You can text 81333, starting your text, 3CR, uh, or you can call in 08459 455 555. Have you walked around in town, topless, because it's a bit hot? It really isn't a nice sight for anybody. Or maybe you like it, I don't know. Let me know. Coming up in the last hour of the show before Jonathan Vernon Smith, more on topless men, more on these trains. Are the problems with the trains affecting you? Do give me a call, let me know, and we'll speak to you after the latest news and sport with Simon Oxley. Ah, good morning, dear listener. I do wish sometimes that the conversations we have off air we could share with you, but they're just... It, we would all lose our jobs instantly. This is Ian Lee on BBC... Three Counties Radio. Uh, coming up in the next hour, Jonathan Vernon-Smith is going to pop in and tell you what his uh, big question of the day is. I bet he's going to steal my line about be- men being topless around town. I bet that'll be his topic. Uh, so you can listen to that. We are asking, have you seen loads of men walking around topless in this heat? It's just... Oh, it's really unpleasant. Getting rid of moths. How did you name your kids? The Olympics. And we'll also be talking more in a second about the uh, cable theft that's affecting trains in and around the area. You can give me a call anytime you want, 08459 455 555. Text 81333, start your text 3CR. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. A day before the start of the Olympics, one of the main rail routes into London is facing massive disruption this morning due to cable theft. The Thames Link service is not running between Bedford and Luton, and disruption is likely to continue until at least lunchtime. Roger Perkins of First Capital Connect joins me now. Good morning, Roger. Hello, good morning. We spoke to you about an hour ago. What's uh, happening now? Okay, um, it's pretty much as before. Uh, the bit of news I have got is that Network Rail hope they may be able to, well, hope to have the problem fixed um, by sort of lunchtime-ish this afternoon, because you were asking is this going to affect the Olympics mm. tomorrow, so it's looking like it will not. Um, but what we've had, I wanted to start off by just saying a huge apology to everybody who's involved in this and who's finding their journeys into work so hard this morning. I think it, it must it is so difficult for people who want to get into work. It's really the last thing they want on a, you know, on a Thursday morning. But what's happened is it's a deliberate criminal act. Someone's tried to steal cable from an area just north of Flittick and that's knocked out all the signalling at Bedford. It means we can't run our trains in or out of Bedford. It happened overnight and all night we've been um, working to mainly get our trains out of the sidings because they're trapped in the sidings and also get replacement buses in place. Now, the buses are all, most of them, or a lot of them, are being used for Olympics. So we've got buses coming over from as far afield as South Wales. So you've got, no, you've got hang on, you've got no buses in? No, the we, bus- have, we have got buses in. We've managed to do that, um, and we've had to call them in from a very long from way away. South Wales, that's incredible. Um, we've done that. We also had, we did get some from London, and um, obviously we have uh, contacts with local bus companies too, but we did find that a lot of them have got Olympic commitments, so we did that. We've managed to get all but 23 of our trains out of the sidings 
but that does mean that 23 of our 109 trains aren't available for use, so mm. that's going to affect us. Plus, we can't run in and out of Bedford. So what we've got now is we've got a roundabout, a train every half hour running south of Flittick, to and from Flittick, between Brighton and Flittick, and we have four trains an hour running between Luton and Sutton St Albans. So that means that south of uh, Luton, south of Luton, you've got about six trains an hour. Um, so I suppose my advice might be go to Luton if you can. If you're in Bedford, um, you can use, of course, London Midland. You may choose to use East Midlands trains, which also can't call southbound at uh, Bedford, but they can call northbound. So you could get onto a train at Bedford with East Midlands, go up to Wellingborough and then catch a southbound back to London. That's another option. Mm. We've put all of these options up on our website, firstcapitalconnect.co.uk, to help people as best we can. Um, and obviously we're getting the information out to our station staff as well who will be doing their best to help people. It's going to be so difficult for people out there because again, everyone needs information um, and um, we're doing our best to help people with that, which is why it's very useful to be able to come and talk to at least talk to listeners with your station. Oh, well, no, well, and Roger, listen, we know it must be incredibly busy, so we're very grateful no. uh, that you, you've given us some time. This cable theft, how quickly after it, it, it happened did you know about it? Um, I don't know if I know the exact answer to that, but we would know immediately because uh, what would ha- what happened is it knocked our signalling out. Right. It means that the signaller cannot see whether um, points that move trains from one track to another are open or whether they're closed. It means he doesn't know where the trains are in that area. It means we cannot operate the train mm. safely. You can't let trains go around blind, as you can imagine. Of course, yeah, that so, would be awful. We had a caller earlier on suggesting that, that you install some kind of system that would monitor these cables and would alert you immediately if something was going wrong and also the location of that is that practical yeah. well the point is that as soon as something like this goes wrong you know about it because your system stops working. And do, can you pinpoint exactly where that problem is immediately um I, i'm not network rail network rail does look after that side of right and i'm not an expert however mm. they did get somebody out to site very quickly right um it was a deliberate act that apparently um they could see where cables had been pulled away in order to access these the cables that were cut were telecommunications, signalling cables. It's a very sad state um, mm. that, you know, it's an indication of how much metal is now worth, that people are prepared to do this, and at the same time cause enormous misery to thousands of people using it's this. It's very train. selfish. Roger, stay there for, uh, for a minute if you can. Uh, we've got our reporter Justin Dealey is at Leegrave train station. Justin, what's happening where you are now? Well, well, just to back up what Roger was saying, there's certainly easier to get a train into London from Luton compared to Leegrave. Earlier, Ian, when I spoke to you just after seven o'clock, the information that I was told then was there wasn't a replacement bus service going from Leegrave to Bedford. Well, about ten minutes later, a bus did actually turn up, so I can now confirm there are replacement buses going from Leegrave to Bedford. I actually got on that bus and I spoke to Kieran. Well, I was told in St Albans that that someone's stolen some cable, so um, I knew there was going to be trouble in Luton. So, um, and then there's been a load of, uh, a big queue of buses, but none of them going anywhere. This fellow didn't kind of know where he was going. He had to plug it all into his iPhone to get uh, addresses. So it's been 40 minutes now from Luton to where are we now? We're in Leegrave now. Leegrave, okay, which is the other side of Luton, isn't it? So I should be in Bedford in 10 minutes. But uh, I think what I've what I realise is the real cost of stealing cable. Mm. I just really get the sense today of what it really costs when this stuff is stolen off of railway lines. You know, the guys are doing their best, in fairness, but. 
the buses were a bit chaotic and it was a little bit disorganised this morning, if I'm honest, from Luton. So. It's a frustrating day for you. Fingers crossed you'll get to Bedford as quickly as possible. And tomorrow, of course, you won't have this problem. We can only hope. Well, I hope so, yeah, and I'll have to make other arrangements and leave a lot earlier and uh, try and work around it as best I can. But, uh... So that was Kieran earlier on this morning on the bus on his way to Bedford. Now, the last train that left for London from Leegrave was at uh, 6.56. That was due to go at uh, 6.35. Now, I spoke a few moments ago to a commuter trying to get into London who was having a few problems. So there hasn't been a train since, what, 6.56? We're looking at Platform 1. Lots and lots of people. Mm-hmm. Are you going to take your chances on that train? Well, I would like to say I'd like to take my chances, but the likelihood is that I probably won't be able to get on. And um, it's already packed. And like I said, the likely chances are I won't be able to get on it. And you've actually made specific arrangements to be here to get on this train. You've been to the L&D this morning. Everything was planned out nicely until you got here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so it's very disappointing um, getting here. And, um, you know, the usual problem is signal problems. But today it's cable theft, mm. which seems to be a common trend, which needs to be looked into yeah. and for it not to happen. Because, you know, lots of people need to get to work. And it's, it's quite frustrating not being able to get to work on time when you know you're here on time to get to work on time. And just lastly, what about the information that you've received today from staff? Has that been up to scratch? Well, the information we received is that we'll have replacement buses, but only going to Bedford. Unfortunately, I need to get to London, and the replacement bus service is not made available for that. So we wait, and we wait, not sure how long, but here we are waiting. We can only hope that she gets on that train and she goes into London. So I think most people this morning, Ian, they understand there are gangs of criminals out there who are stealing cable. Mm. But this is a story, and again, I'll say it again like earlier on, it's a story that we've, we've covered many, many times before here on BBC Three Counties Radio. And these people, they want something done about it. Roger, what can we do about it? I've got Roger Perkins from First Capital Connect. Roger, what can we do to stop these little idiots stealing the cable and, and disrupting everyone's journeys? It's a good question. It's one I know Network Rail is um, it, it's, it's in everyone's interest to overcome this, to somehow stop them from doing this. You've got to, well, we've got to realise the, net, the rail network is, is very, very long. There's a huge amount, number of miles through the track. Lots of opportunities for people to get on the track. We can't police it from, from one end to the other. You know, it's hundreds of miles. Mm. But at the same time, something needs to be done. And I know that the police are working quite closely with Network Rail. I think they're using some quite smart, um, sort of intelligent, intelligence-led approach to the policing of it to, to, to try to track these people down. And I believe there have been some prosecutions. It's not quite my area, I suppose. No, of course. However, however, it is our area because it's our people, our mm. customers and our passengers who get affected. And frankly, ourselves as well. I mean, it's been a hugely frustrating and difficult night for us. We've been... We've been working uh, through through the night to get the trains out of the sidings and to stitch together a train service that will at least give people, like that poor lady on the platform, a chance to get into London. I mean, the thought of her trying to pack herself onto, you know, one of the two trains an hour that are coming through, I, I really feel for her and all the other people on the platform. And again, I can only apologise. Okay. Uh, Roger, listen, thank you very much for that. Uh, That's Roger Perkins from First Capital Connect. Um, Go off and uh, do what you can to sort this out. And thank you so much for coming on. I know it must be an incredibly hectic and stressed morning, so uh, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Uh, Justin, go off and have a bacon sandwich or something. (laughs) I will do. Good lad, thank you very much. (laughs)
Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A day before the start of the Olympics, one of the main rail routes into London is facing massive disruption this morning due to cable theft. The Thameslink service is not running between Bedford and Luton and disruption is likely to continue until at least lunchtime. Detectives say they are keeping up to date with technology as a Hertfordshire man who tricked a woman with fake Facebook friends starts a life sentence for her murder. Tony Bushby had created four friends on the social networking site to gain Katie Winter's trust. In sport, Luton and Wickham drew nil-nil in last night's pre-season friendly at Kenilworth Road. We'll have a full sports bulletin in 15 minutes and weather in a few minutes with Phil Garner. And coming up, we will find out how to stay safe online after a woman from Hertfordshire was tricked into trusting a man who'd created different accounts on a social networking site. Don't shrug, Jonathan Vernon-Smith, when I pay you a compliment. You're being all humble there. Jonathan was telling me what happened in yesterday's um, show, and yes. I, shall, I wasn't listening. Uh, you must today. I'm, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and listen. I like to listen to you on the iPlayer. Cause, um, you can fast-forward through the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say bits. that. But, yes, but, I know. But right. yes, you're right. Uh, now, I'm guessing the big topic today is going to be um, topless men walking through the oh, streets. Oh, well, it was a toss-up. It was a toss-up between that. I mean, you're quite right. It's disgusting. Isn't it horrible? It's Well, it's the mark of a very common person. It is. You, you wouldn't get, like, um, a, a pop, like Tony Blair doing going topless, would you? Oh, my word. <laughs> I think I've just just uh, experienced my breakfast again there. One of, one of these men nearly touched me yesterday as I was getting off the tube. It was on the tube, topless. You know, the worst is when you find them in the supermarket, in the fruit and veg department, and you're there <laughs> trying to pick up something, and you've got some great big sweaty, oh. hairy man with his top off next to you. It's disgusting. And not that it would be any better. It's never a buff bloke. It is always like a horrible hairy man with hairy the hairy shoulders thing. It Ooh. wouldn't make it much better if it was someone buff, but uh, even that's unpleasant and probably unhygienic. But it's a little bit better than the tats and the hairy shoulders and the hairy back. Do, where do you get your top off? Very rarely. D- don't take my top off on the beach. Would not take it off. What? In the, no, not in the back garden. On the beach? No, not at all. Why? Why should I? It's disgusting. And I very rarely wear shorts. <laughs> it is this disgu- disgusting. You're taking this to a whole new level. I very rarely. I won't wear shorts in this weather. Maybe in my house, but I won't go out of the house in shorts. Really? Yeah. 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 Oh. It's disgusting. It's 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 um, God's gift to us. We should keep it to ourselves. Really? (laughs) My word. Coming up on the big phone in this morning at nine, I'm asking, are you confident the government can get us out of recession? Rather like your topless discussion, to be absolutely honest with you, Ian. You went for that, did you? Oh, well, never mind. Uh, Official figures have shown the UK economy is slipping deeper into recession, and the news has prompted more speculation about how effective the Chancellor, George Osborne, really is as he faces increasing criticism of the way he's handling the economy. Vince Cable has now come out and said he'd probably make a good chance although the business secretary insists the government was working well together and there was no need to make changes. But is it really working well? Or do the facts on the recession speak for themselves? Are you confident this government can get us out of recession? 08459 455 555. I'd love to hear your views and your experiences on the big phone in this morning at nine. And if you are topless, I'm guessing they'll jump to the front of the queue. Uh, yes, we prioritise all topless people. Excellent stuff. Jonathan, thank you very much. I shall be listening. Will you? <laughs> no, you know I will. I will. I'm not walking into this trap every day. I will be listening at some point in the next year to today's <laughs> show. <laughs> I play as a marvellous, marvellous thing. Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who is, is always worth a listen. And I, I, I can't always listen, because I'm either here at a meeting or I was, you know, elsewhere yesterday. But I will be listening to his consumer hour from yesterday. He was telling me what happened. It sounds very, very exciting. 
we've got some new listeners today i know that because you've been tweeting me stick around after nine o'clock uh it's it's it really is a cracking show and it's it's well worth a listen a hertfordshire man who tricked a woman with fake facebook friends has been sentenced to life in prison for killing her Katie Winter was babysitting her sister's children on Boxing Day in Borehamwood when she was murdered by Tony Bushby. 19-year-old Tony Bushby invented four friends on Facebook to win over Katie Winter from Borehamwood. Well, how safe are you online? Our reporter, Sophie Soleri, has been out asking some young people in Hertfordshire how well they know their friends on Facebook. I think I know all of them personally. I haven't got anyone on there that I don't know, but there's a lot of people who I haven't spoken to for a number of years. So I'm a youth worker, and a lot of the children that use Facebook are as young as they're 11 or 12, and they have permission from their parents, and many of them aren't aware of the dangers themselves, and they don't protect their children from dangers. Do you know all of the friends on your Facebook? No. How many friends do you have? About 1,500. You've got 1,500 friends? Yeah. Because I've moved countries about four times, so I know quite a few of them, but not directly. Like, I haven't met a lot of them. So when somebody asks for your friendship, what's your criteria that you tick in your head before you say yes? On Facebook, I just accept everyone, really. Do you think that that raises safety concerns? Maybe to my dad. I don't really mind, though. (laughs) What kind of things do you post up on your Facebook? pictures like what i'm doing that day and stuff is it acceptable for the strangers to see this probably not now that you say it yeah i didn't really think about it i i had a, a facebook page that with loads of people that weren't my friends on there and i thought this is crazy so i closed it down and now i've got just like a little private i got one of those ridiculous pages where you click a button and it likes you nonsense uh, but i've got a private facebook page where it's just it's just for friends and family and i put up pictures of the kids and it's you know it's, it's quite a private thing well tony neat is the chief executive of the national campaign get safe online good morning tony good morning ian tony we heard there that there are people sharing personal data with others who are virtually strangers that can't be good can it no i don't think it is and um, being the age i am i'm with three daughters I, I i've got to listen to a little bit of what that young lady said when she said well my dad wouldn't like it well no your dad's been around a bit and maybe um, he's a bit concerned about it as well we've got to watch out for these false friends and um, we wouldn't do it in the street, just walk up to somebody and make him your friend, but uh, we seem to do it online. Quite strange. Well, I suppose there's this perception that children need to be especially careful online when talking to strangers, but I guess that rule applies to all of us, doesn't it? Yes, of course it does. Um, and, and we do get, we do tend to build up friends on Facebook, which we wouldn't normally do. Um, and we see somebody else's friend of somebody, or, you know, the, the, the scam I heard um, only a couple of months ago where somebody was, um, had been on holiday, but she posted that she was gone on a holiday to Spain. And then somebody contacted her and said, look, we met in Spain, do you remember me? And of course the person didn't, but that's because the person actually hadn't met her in Spain, she'd just seen the person had been to Spain. So we've got to watch out for things like that. And, and 99.9% of the time, it's not going to be a problem anyway. Um, but when we've got the deviance around, like we've heard in this tragic story, then that's when we've got to watch out. But we shouldn't scare ourselves from that. We should just be aware of the different problems that we have. Do, do you know, that's an excellent point that you've made there, Tony, because there, I think there is a lot of scaremongering around things like this and obviously the case that we're talking about today is a a, a tragic example of what can happen and and it's an extreme and the internet 
is fun. You know, people forget that. The internet is fun. You also mentioned that someone posting they were going away on Spain. Never post online when you're going on holiday. No, You mostly say, hello, burglars, my house is empty for two weeks. Would you like to come round and steal my TV? Yeah, and what you've normally done is you've normally, six months earlier, said that you've had a brand new 50-inch TV. So when you come round, make sure you bring a van with you to make sure you fit it. But no, I mean, we've got to remember that there are are Walter Mitty's out there in the real world. They don't appear just because we have the internet. Um, the, the, you know, if she'd have met this person um, in a different location, in a school, in a college, you know, in a pub, in a cafe, he probably would have come out mm. with some stories anyway. He's just used the tools that are available to us now. And, and that's what we've just got to be aware about. But we've got to use it sensibly um, and, and, and use it and enjoy it. Uh, as I said, I've got three daughters. They all use the Internet. I use the Internet. I think it's fantastic. Um, but let's do it sensibly and let's do it with a little bit of security in mind. How can people protect themselves online, Tony? What's your advice? Well, I think one of the things we've got to do is be very careful about what we say about ourselves. And I think what a lot of people forget is what you say about other people. So what do your what are your friends and family putting down about you? Make sure you have a chat with them about, well, I, I'm not really happy about being tagged in, in this photograph, or I'd rather you not mention this online. Uh, this is because we, we become very open. I think we, we sit in our homes and in our bedrooms and we think this we're only talking to our friends online, but actually we're, we're potentially talking to the whole world, and the whole world have access to what we're doing. So we've just got to think a little bit cleverer now when we're online and what we're going to say. Now, in this story, the, the terribly sad story we've been talking about today, this guy set up fake identities online. And I've been plagued, not in anywhere to the, the same level, but I've been plagued by idiots setting up fake identities to try and find out information about me and then getting abusive. And I've had some horrible stuff said to me on, on, on Twitter and Facebook about my family and stuff. Can you protect yourself against these fake identities? Can you ever trust what we're told on the internet? Well, again, uh, there's probably millions of instances, which is, which is a great news story, people making great friends, having lifetime friends, even having relationships, which have all been very successful. There is a small, very, very small proportion which turn wrong, and you've been at the end of some of that, Ian, mm. and it's not great. Um, what you've got to do is keep your eye on what you're doing, make sure that you don't have these, these friends joining you. Let the, um, the social network insight know about these problems um, and of course if it gets any more serious then there is legislation that covers in relation to it. I'm not suggesting that for the first time you get a bad email you should be call- contacting the police but there is always that area that you can go down talk to people about what you're doing. Mm. Certainly if you're younger, talk to, to your friends, talk, try and talk to somebody a bit more grown up to ask them about it. You know, not every child goes and speaks to their parents. Facebook is quite good at dealing with these sort of things I think and they will close down accounts when they know there is something suspicious going on I tell you what's not brilliant, Tony, very quickly, is Twitter. Twitter. I, I, I was getting such abuse on Twitter, some horrible person saying horrible, violent things about my little boy. And I would block him, and uh, he would just... He set up about 150 different accounts on Twitter. And I kept contacting Twitter, and they went, well, to be honest, he's not doing anything that contravenes our rules. And they wouldn't do anything about it. Yeah, well, we've got to be looking at things like that. Yeah. We've got to be pressurising organisations and these, these social networking to make sure, because it can ruin somebody's life. So we have got to keep the pressure on to make sure that they're monitoring what we're doing and listening to us when we have a problem. Tony, listen, this is absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. Tony Nick there is uh, Chief Executive of the National Campaign, Get Safe Online. And he's right to, to say that we, we can get a bit too excited about all of this because we do hear these horrible, horrible stories, like the story we heard today about Katie Winter. But... 
the internet is fun and if you you know if you play in it safely it's a fun place and you can have fun and you can can meet interesting people but just maybe have your wits about you a little bit more on fm am and online bbc three counties radio Later on in the show, we'll be um, talking to uh, an etiquette expert about taking mobile phones to concerts after Bruce Dickinson, the lead singer from Iron Maiden, shouted at someone in, uh, at a concert, during the concert, Oi, you, the bull gentleman in the white T-shirt, you've been texting for the last three songs, stop it. Well, the official Iron Maiden Twitter feed has tweeted a smiley face at me. Well, it's done, it's done a colon, a dash, and a closed bracket. I think that's a smiley face. I was sat next to Bruce Dickinson once in, in the theatre. I went to see um, Jerusalem, this sprawling three-and-a-half-hour-long epic that was wonderful. When I was told that it was three-and-a-half hours or three hours long, I was like, oh, Really? I like plays to be 90 minutes, no intervals, you're in, you're out. I I don't like... If there's an interval in a play, the play is too long. But this play was wonderful. And I was sat next to a gentleman, uh, a very smart, well-spoken gentleman with sort of short hair, and I was thinking, I know this guy from somewhere. How do I know this guy? And then I got it. I worked out who it was. Was There were were some aeroplane sound effects in the the play. And he leaned over to his wife and went, oh, yeah, that's the um, Boeing uh, 727 uh, Mark IV DA. And I went, it's Bruce Dickinson. Because he's a pilot. He's like a plane expert. And what he often does is he, he flies jumbos and he'll, he'll, they'll do tours. Iron Maiden will do concerts. My friend went to a concert in Iceland, an Iron Maiden concert in Iceland, and Bruce Dickinson flew the plane. It was flight number 666. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cheeky. Uh, and so that's how I worked out it was him. And I kind of got chatting to him. But I was, I was, I was being cool. And I was pretending that I wasn't quite excited that I was sat next to uh, Bruce Dickinson. Uh, and I was being quite cool. Anyway. We'll be talking to an expert later on. And it is the thing, isn't it? When you go to concerts now, uh, that everybody holds up, as soon as the act come on stage, they hold up their mobile phone and they start recording everything. I'm not against recording a little bit, you know, and, and, and keeping the memory alive, but recording the whole thing. So instead of looking at the stage, you're looking at your little, you know, five-inch screen and watching it through that. I think as as people we have forgotten how to enjoy the moment, how to live in the moment. Everything we're kind of recording everything so we can look at it later on. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now, are you worried about how much money you could be forking out during the Olympics? Well, last year we spoke to one Buckinghamshire woman who came up with a way people could make or save money during the games. Victoria Webben set up a website that allows people to camp in strangers' gardens for £9 a night. Well, the Olympics are almost upon us, and she says bookings have more than doubled to 170 a week as people look for affordable accommodation uh, near to the venues. Well, Victoria is on the line now. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning. This is, this is a genius idea. It's, I, I, it kind of scares me, but it excites me at the same time. How many bookings are you taking solely for the Olympics? Um, solely for the Olympics, um, we've got about 90 uh, next week, or sorry, this week, for the first week of the Olympics. Um, bookings are going up really quickly for the second week because of the weather forecast, which is obviously much more optimistic now. Um, so I don't know what we'll be up to next week, but they are being, um, the gardens are being booked very quickly. And explain how this works, Victoria, because I can't quite get my head around it. You've got a whole list of people who are prepared to give up their gardens, have you? 
That's right. We've got 650 gardens on wow. our website. Yeah. Um, and uh, this fascinates me, uh, mainly because I'm quite nosy and I l- like looking around people's gardens and houses. And um, um, sort of whereabouts are they and what's the capacity of these gardens? They vary greatly. We've got um, small gardens, um, you know, big enough for one small two-man tent, um, up to fields, um, you know, farmers' yeah. fields, which could obviously take a lot of people. Um, they vary in, in location. Um, we've got about 80% of the gardens are in the UK, 20% worldwide now. Well, um, hang on. There is, there, whereabouts are... Uh, I, suddenly I'm sniffing a cheap holiday. Whereabouts are they <laughs> worldwide? Thailand, New Zealand... <sighs> Australia, America, they're, they're everywhere, Indonesia. They're, it's actually growing very quickly internationally at the moment. This is incredible. So, 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 I, there, are, there are gardens in Thailand where you can go and camp. That sounds, I, yeah. that sounds fantastic. For you were charging people um, £9 a night last year. Has this gone that up? That was average. Uh, average. Um, what, has it gone yeah. up because of the Olympics? The, yes, if, if the gardens are in zone, um, you know, one, two or three, they have gone up, yeah. um, or, or near an Olympic venue. But there are some, they, they vary, the garden owner sets their own price, so they do vary, and some of them are as little as £3 per person per night. Wow. Um, and where are, where exactly are most people camp, uh, choosing to camp to see the Games? Just anywhere near a venue, basically. Yeah. So wherever there's a venue, the, those gardens are going the quickest. Victoria, this is genius. It's your company, is it, that's, that's, that, that you're in charge of? Yes, it is, yeah. How did you come up with the idea? Because I, th- I do think this sounds fantastic. Um, it was something I'd thought about for a while, actually. I love camping. I personally love going to events, and often um, there, there, there just isn't enough camping options or cheap accommodation options near the events, so that's where the idea came from. And, Victoria, very quickly, what's the website in case people want to go and do this? It's www.campingmygarden.com. Oh, brilliant. Listen, I wish you the best of luck. It sounds like you don't need it anyway, but congratulations. <laughs> what, fantastic. I've not been a fan of camping, but I'm, I'm sort of getting my head around it. Now I've got a little boy. I'm kind of thinking, actually, spending a weekend with him in a tent would be fantastic. That's superb, that is. I'd love to camp in someone's garden. I was laughing at the start, but she explained it. It makes more and more sense. Here's something. When was the last time that you visited or rung an elderly relative? It stands to reason that the older you get, the fewer friends and relatives you'll have. And most older people hate the prospect of being a burden. Loneliness among older people, especially men, is a real problem, which is why the older people's charity, the WRVS, is trying to help. We can talk now to David McCulloch from uh, the chief executive of WRVS. Good morning, David. Oh, no, you're there. Sorry, good morning, David. That's all right, I am here. What, uh, what have you found from your research? We've we found, as you say, that there are really substantial numbers, about 200,000 men over 75 who feel lonely. And, and whilst that's a sort of slightly woolly word, what, what that means is those people are, are often spending 12 hours a day with no face-to-face contact at all. Uh, and, and, and what they describe to us is that not just are they feeling lonely, but actually that kind of tends to move towards feelings of depression, the fact that they, that makes them you know, feel down, they lose touch with people, they stay in the house more, they even give up their hobbies. So not only are they feeling grim, but their life is becoming emptier. I'm surprised that it's more men than women. Why is that the case? Yeah, it, it's, it's, I think the difference is it is slightly more men than women that feel lonely. The big issue is that, it's, that men don't talk about right. it. Right. Which, you know, is not, this is not just a loneliness issue. Mm. Men, men, as we know, don't talk about whole swathes of stuff. But men are actually half as likely as women to even confide to their friends and family that they're feeling lonely. And I, 
how can we make sure that our, our relatives and, and, and people around us aren't lonely? What can we do? I, I think it's some really straightforward things. I mean, I, 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 I think... For, for family, it's often quite tricky because, you know, you're, as you say, you can give them a ring, but there are actually a lot of families are separated and mm. far away. I think in our, in our local streets and our local villages and our towns and communities, I think we can all, you know, if there are older neighbours uh, in the street, we can tap on the door, say hello, ask them if they want a cup of tea, how are they doing, do they need any help? If, if people have got a bit more... Uh, a bit more time available. We've got 40,000 volunteers across the country uh, and and we support thousands and thousands of older people. So we know where people are who need that help and we can put people in touch with uh, with the older people and offer a bit of, as well as emotional support, a bit of practical support. It does amaze me how, uh, th- th- as a country, we treat our bad people with with just such disregard sometimes, you know, and it's, it, these are the people that we should be helping. It's some old people, very quickly, I know we're running out of time, that they yeah. feel like they're a burden. How can we change that? Well, I, I think I think you're right, I mean, I, and I think it's a kind of generation that are brought up feeling that they just need to cope and carry on and not be a burden. So I, I guess it's down to those of us who, who are younger and lucky enough to still have connections and friends and family uh, to, to give people the opportunity to connect up. So for us to go and tap on the door, us to do a bit of volunteering, but also, you know, if people are listening to the programme and thinking, actually, you know, Gosh, you're just describing my life. Mm. Uh, you can give us a ring at WRVS or, or go online to our website at wrvs.org.uk and we'll connect you up with somebody local. Talk about not just emotional support, but some practical support that we can give you to, so you can get on with your life, stay independent, stay in your own home, but actually you know, enjoy a better quali- the sort of quality of life you want to enjoy. David, thank you very much. David McCulloch there, the Chief Executive of WRVS. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, we just, why do we treat our, our people so badly in this country? It, al- it always amazes me that we do that. that our old people and our sick people, we sh- and, and the kids, we should be looking after them. We very rarely do. Right. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A day before the start of the Olympics, one of the main rail routes into London is facing massive disruption this morning due to cable theft. The Thameslink service is not running between Bedford and Luton and disruption is likely to continue until at least lunchtime. Detectives say they are keeping up to date with technology as a Hertfordshire man who tricked a woman with fake Facebook friends starts a life sentence for her murder. Tony Bushby had created four friends on the social networking site to gain Katie Winter's trust. In sport, Luton and Wickham drew nil-nil in last night's pre-season friendly at Kenilworth Road. The weather now for beds, hearts and bucks. Another very warm and sunny day with some patchy cloud. Top temperature, 29 degrees Celsius. And coming up... To celebrate the final day of the Olympic torch relay, a very special group of musicians will be playing at London St Pancras Station, all the way from the United States. Find out more in the next few minutes. And the JVS show is back at nine o'clock with a big phone in, and today he's asking, are you confident the government can get us out of recession? Sean French has tweeted me, we're talking about how you named your children, and uh, he says my daughter is named after C. Emily Play by Pink Floyd. I went out with, speaking of uh, old hippies and heads, I went out with a girl called Lola. Uh, and her initials were LSD after the drug because her parents were hippies in the 60s. This is a great story coming up here. 
and I'm totally, totally support Bruce on this. The lead singer of Iron Maiden has blasted a fan who texted in the front row during a recent US show. Bruce Dickinson swore at the man who he called the guy with the bald head in the white shirt for texting during his last three songs. Well, Diana Mather is a former actress and singer and runs Public Image, a company advising on modern manners and communication. Good morning, Diana. Good morning. What do you think of what Bruce Dickinson did? I think he was absolutely right. Yes. I think he's just appalling. You go to a gig to watch the gig. What are you doing texting? I mean, I just... What are you doing with your mobile phone on, for a start? Yep. You know, we, it just, we've got to stop phones taking over our lives. You know, I can remember a time where you didn't have any, and life went on really well. We managed to survive. And they are the most wonderful invention, but they do uh, pop up quite inappropriately. Mealtimes, meetings, concerts. I mean, in a, in a cinema, you're asked to turn it off. In a theatre, you're asked to turn it off. You should also be asked to turn it off and not use it in a, in a concert. Well, Diana, the, the, it's, it's me and my wife. My son's only two and a half at the moment, but we have um, banned mobile phones at the dinner table. We'll have none of that nonsense, thank you very much. It, 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 it's, it's awful. And also, the, the, you're right about the, You're having a meeting or a coffee with someone, and you're talking to them, and they're sort of just looking down at their phone, going, uh-huh. Yeah, and they're checking their emails exactly. and their sort of tweets and everything. You really cannot, and I have to say, especially men, cannot Sorry. concentrate on more thing, more than one thing at once. And we can't. And the person you're with is the most important person. And what we're finding is, and funny enough, there was a there was a piece on on the Today program, I think, or was it the news last night, where primary school children are being sent home in great numbers for really really bad behavior because they can't communicate and part of that is that they're stuck in front of a television they're allowed mobile games on phones far too early and they're just losing the ability to read body language or or communicate properly which makes them aggressive so really the mobile phone should be used when it's necessary but if you think of the amount of money wasted in meetings waiting for people to start because they're on their phone as you say they're not concentrating properly so you have to Pete, because they're checking their emails during a meeting. And it's such bad manners. Mm. You've been a performer and, uh, and a singer. What would you feel like if you were, you're, you're, doing the, you're putting your heart and soul into a performance, as I've seen Bruce Dickinson, and he does, he gives everything, and then you look down and in row three there's someone, you know, texting or, or you know, doing something silly with their phone. How would that make you feel, Diana? Very insulted. Because, you know, something like Bruce Dickinson, Iron Maiden, they've been going a long time. They have put their heart and soul and many years of experience if you don't want, if you can't be bothered to concentrate, don't go to the concert. Somebody else could have that ticket who's really going to enjoy it and put their heart and soul in watching. And as an actor, it's really off-putting because mm. you suddenly think if if you let your your mind go, you you a you can lose your lines, but also you think. Am I that bad? <laughs> I probably was, because uh, I'm not an actress now. Years, and, years and years ago, I, I can't remember how long ago it was, I saw Kevin Spacey in The Iceman Cometh, right? And it's this huge, sprawling, epic play. It's about four hours long with two intervals. And halfway through the play, in this really intense scene, um, someone's mobile phone went off. <sighs> and Kevin Spacey was brilliant. Without missing a beat, he just pointed to the man and went, tell them we're busy. And I thought that was a wonderful Excellent. way of dealing with it. Excellent. Wonderful. Because I'm, I'm so paranoid. When I go to the theatre or the cinema, I'm constantly checking my phone to make sure I've switched it off, because I would just die of embarrassment if it started ringing or beeped or something. Absolutely. And it's just, as I say, it is just lack of consideration for anyone else. I am so important. I have to have my phone on all the time. No, you don't. 
and the, probably only the president of the United States, and he doesn't even have one. Like, his aides have to have them on all the time. Exactly. You know, none of us, the rest of us, no, 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 it'll wait. Diana, thank you very much. A pleasure to talk to you and to speak sense to someone. Diana Mather there, who is um, uh, the former actress and runs Public Image, a company advising on modern manners and communication. Well done, Bruce Dickinson. I wish I could tell you what he said. He was very potty-mouthed. Um, if you've never seen Iron Maiden, I haven't seen them for years, actually. It's probably, jeez, oh, it's probably about ten years since I saw them live. Probably about ten years. It's a, a cracking band. They're a cracking band. Come on. Who'd have thought we'd be on BBC Three Counties Radio discussing uh, Bruce Dickinson? Uh, we're talking about bells. At 12 minutes past eight tomorrow, where the whole country is being urged to ring bells to celebrate the start of the Olympics. Uh, Barry's called in. Good morning, Barry. Morning, Ian. You're, you're taking part in this, are you? Yes, um, I'm Barry the Boiler, as known as Barry the Boiler on Three Counties. Oh, um, celebrity. I'm, I'm tower captain of All Saints, Leighton Buffett, yep. which are one of the premier rings in the Three Counties. Um, uh, as you always say on the BBC, there will be lots of other towers in the Three Counties taking part in this. Um, we're bringing, we've been asked to ring at 12 minutes past eight, which I believe is 12 hours. But Barry, we're losing you. What on earth is going on there? Is that a train? That is a train. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm, on, I'm on my allotment and I've got the... Um, working on it. Houston line running by me. <laughs> so where, where are you going to be tomorrow uh, at 12 minutes past eight ringing your bells? We shall be at the Church of All Saints, late and budget. It's the big church in the middle that you can see the spire whichever way you drive into town. Um... If there are any bell ringers that aren't ringing anywhere, they're welcome to come along because we've got 12 bells here and as the government haven't declared it a public holiday, lots of our ringers will be at work. They'll be at work. Barry, I've got to move on because we want to fit this in, but people do go down there tomorrow and try and help if you can. Uh, if you're commuting into London this morning, you might be in for more of a treat than most days. A brass band from the US has crossed the big pond to play at the final day of the Olympic torch relay in London St Pancras Station. The Rich South High School band from Chicago have been staying in Luton ahead of the torch finale, and our reporter Tom Allnut went and snuck in for a quick preview. I'm here with Y.L. Douglas, the band director of Rich South High School Band. And as you can hear, the band are rehearsing in the background. Tell me a bit about the band, Y.L. We're 109 strong, but we brought a third of that with us today. And we're looking for an exciting time out here in London for the Olympics. And just, we're coming, we're, we're bringing the party to London. I'm just letting you know, we're bringing the party to you. <laughs> so you're from Chicago. I am. And you're going to be playing in the final leg of the Torch Relay tomorrow in London. Yes. How does that feel to be part of such a momentous event? Extremely honourable. I mean, very humbling as well. Uh, just with uh, Sandra, who's been assisting us, and just being a part of that. The very beginnings of the uh, Olympics and the Torch Lighting Ceremony. Uh, we're blessed. We're blessed. And we thank everyone who made that happen for us. I'm nervous for you. Are you nervous? You know what? I'm not nervous. I'm just excited. I mean, I feel like shouting, really. It's this my feet getting light, and I just feel like shouting. It's just because it's so it's, it's such a big party. You know, see they party rocking out there right now. This is what we bringing to London, so it's gonna be a lot of excitement, and the energy is so. I'm I'm just very very excited.
and we've been blessed to play for some in some very high caliber situations none like this so um these students are no strangers to performances so i'm excited for us and everybody involved this is a, a brass band i can see various instruments trumpets horns everything but there's also a bit of dance involved isn't there our listeners won't be able to see right now but whilst they're playing they're singing and moving about what's all that about our band is a, is a, a bit of a show band. It's actually a show band, and what we do is we bring the video to the music. And what about the kids? Because I've just been watching here, and they look like they're having a really good time when they're playing. Well, you know what? I keep them busy enough and keep them pumped up enough where they share in the moment of the excitement because they are the excitement. We're coming in, you know, just having a party with London, celebrating with the community, the London community, and this just very honorable moment. So I, I don't really get too many too many nerves. You know, I think once they get home, they'll probably be like, man, we just performed in London, you know, around the 2012 Olympics. So, Guys, how does it feel to be part of the Olympics? feels very, very good. It's kind of hard to explain. It's a very fun experience, something that... Every person should get it in a lifetime. And you're a really important stage of the torch relay, which you might not know, but it's been going on for a very long time, and you're in the final day of it. How does that feel? Now that I know that it's coming up and, you know, we're about to play for it, it's like an overwhelming experience. Like we're, we're finally about to, you know, play for something that we always see on TV. Now we're a part of it. So it only makes it ten times better. There you go. There's nothing better than a brass band first thing in the morning. We should have got them in the studio. That's what we should have done. We'll be back tomorrow listening to bells at 12 minutes past eight. That's, I'm, I'm going to try and find a bell today. Ray has texted in. His son really is called Stanley because of the cesarean. It wasn't a joke. I'm sorry. I'm back tomorrow at six. Jonathan is up next. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.